0: From the Vint Pixel Studios in Las Vegas, Nevada, this is Phone Booth Fighting. And I'm Frank Mayer. I am Richard Hunter, and our guest in studio today is legendary mixed martial arts referee, Big John McCarthy. Welcome to the studio. Hey, thanks for having me, man. Good to see you. we got to do a little business first before we get down to uh, mixed martial arts talk. Uh, First and foremost, Frank, we need to let everybody know that we do this podcast twice a week. It's available absolutely free via iTunes, Stitcher Radio, SoundCloud, Google Play, or wherever you do your podcasting. Do us a favor, click on uh, those five stars when you look up Phone Boot Fighting in iTunes. Give us that five star rating, it's very helpful to us. And uh, if you're feeling uh, particularly generous, write us a favorable line or two in the review section. That's uh, even more helpful. Phoneboothfighting.com is the official website, all previously aired and archived episodes are there for you, as well as that Amazon banner. Frank, this is your department. Why do we click through the Amazon banner? That's one of the easiest ways
1: to help support the show by going through our uh, website, The Phone Booth Fighting, by clicking on the banner. If you do any of your shopping for your wants and needs on Amazon, a small percentage at no extra cost to you comes back here to us here at the show, as you can see, to help uh, improve.
0: You'll find it right there on the front of phoneboothfighting.com. Also, the official merch store is there. The uh, latest happy phone booth fighting t shirt on Big John see. McCarthy here. I got him hooked up with the 2XL. The Ouija board one? Or? No, no. He the got original. the. Uh, oh, it's got yeah. your beautiful face in it. Yeah, yeah I, knew, I knew he'd want the on one that. with your, your <laughs> face on it. Yeah. Uh, so uh, you'll find all of that there. Low T Nation, of course. Uh, we need to thank Low T Nation who sponsors uh, the phone fighting podcast. If uh, you're a fella, and I am, and uh, if you're getting up there in age, uh, check. i got to check that box as well. Yeah, yeah, you too, John. Okay. Uh, maybe uh, you're not feeling quite <laughs> as youthful as you used to, then LowTNation.com is worth it. Checking out. It is a free telephone consultation. They're based in the Atlanta, Georgia area, but that uh, doesn't matter. Wherever you are located throughout the United States, Low-T Nation can hook you up with a lab in your area. Frank, tell us real quick about the process and how it works. Yeah, it's easy. Call
1: up Brandon over there at Low-T Nation. He'll speak to you personally. Give you a quick little interview, assess if you're even a candidate, maybe to help you out. If that's the case, they'll set you up with blood work. It's about the most effort you're going to have to put forth on your part. Once you do that, they have your lab results. They make sure a doctor is able to send to your home. Every month on schedule, you'll get uh, your medication required to make sure you're feeling good. And, and I tell everybody this now, especially in the month of January. It's uh, Everybody has their New Year's Eve resolutions and they're trying to work hard. But if you don't have the right you know, compositions going on and you're not firing all cylinders, you're just you know turning your wheels in the mud.
0: LowTNation.com is the website and uh, the phone call and the quick visit to a lab in your area is the only work you're going to have to do outside of your own house. They take it from there. They ship the product right to your doorstep and uh, could not be easier. We hear from uh, more phone booth fighting listeners each and every week that uh, have gotten on board with the Nation way. So go to LowTNation.com, give them a call and tell them Frank and Richard sent you. Also, Frank freshly.com is uh, they are the folks that are feeding me on a daily basis a uh, always fresh never frozen meal prep site and uh, you know this is one of the modern miracles of the internet. This kind of stuff wasn't available to us uh, uh, even just a few years ago before the advent of, of the internet and and things arriving at your doorstep because you magically clicked on your computer. But uh, they are now with Freshly.com. Whether you are an old-fashioned carnivore, uh, whether you are a a vegetarian or a vegan like myself, you're gluten-free, whatever uh, diet you're following these days, Freshly.com is compatible with all of that. And Frank, I know that you know when uh, time is of a premium, and uh, that means there's going to be not a lot of time for uh, cooking in the kitchen Having uh, some all-natural ingredients show up already pre-made and dinner being three minutes away from being ready is uh, very valuable.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Look, everybody would eat healthy if you have the time to do so, but not everybody has time to prep your meal inside or to cook and have two or three hours to get ready. So one of the easiest things in this is that you can have that kind of home-cooked, natural ingredient-type meal, have it in two or three minutes so you're still eating healthy and not making those uh, decisions to go ahead and go and eat fast food, which we know how that will end.
0: Freshly.com is the website. Here's the best part. They've got a special deal exclusively for phone booth fighting listeners. Enter the promo code phone booth and you're going to save $40 off your first two orders. You'll get your first order of six meals for $39 uh, if you enter the promo code phone booth. And then when you do it again, you're going to eat those. You're going to want six more. Enter that promo code phone booth a second time. And guess what? It's still good. Uh, Freshly.com is the website. Let them know that you are a phone booth fighting listener, and we appreciate your support. All right, Frank, here we go. Uh, Lots to talk about with with John McCarthy. I'm just going to throw a few things out there so we make sure to check them all off. First thing, he's joined you over in Bellator now. Why don't you explain that?
1: He has. In fact, actually, I just realized that I can actually have him come over now and watch me train, maybe give me a few tips. Because in the past, that would have been a huge conflict of interest. Ooh, yeah. Just a little bit. A little bit of a problem. You know, a little picture post on Instagram, you know, you're like, oh, that's the guy ref him, the man, he's helping. <laughs> <laughs> All right. But uh, yeah, he's actually the newest addition to the Bellator's commentating team. And now he's going to be a full time commentator. Still doing the referee and hopefully outside of that arena over the ACB, but uh, that being said, I mean, I think it's a phenomenal addition. I've had a couple of people come up and ask me how they think John's going to do, and I'm like, fucking awesome? I mean, come on, the guy, who do you think that I'm sitting there sometimes texting besides you and, and mm-hmm. the wife? Mm-hmm. But I'll have questions and shit, or I'll wave them over at the fight. It's like, hey, can that happen, or what happens here, or what has happened there? Like, yeah. what's well, that right? And, you know, and John is second to nobody when it comes to knowledge of what happens inside the cage as far as all the ins and outs, the rules, the judging, the reffing.
0: He's my uh, he's the source. I was thinking about that, John. You know, uh, uh when you call somebody a legendary referee, uh case closed when you predate the rules in your sport. That not a lot of referees true. can say that. Not a lot people of people would say build them up. Yeah, not a lot of people can say I was a, a referee in football before they had figured out all the rules. Before they said no face masking when there was no face masking. Yeah. yeah.
2: You know it's it's so funny because everybody that watches MMA now, they all have their ideas of where it started, and it's really funny that about fifty percent of them have no clue. You know, they, like who's who. You know, they they don't yeah. they don't go back that far, and they have no idea how the the actual show came about, what occurred. They don't understand. They, they don't have no idea. They think that basically Dana White started this thing with the Ultimate Fighter, and it. That's how things came about. Well, there's guys like Frank Mir that were fighting before the Ultimate Fighter, okay. And it's it always cracks me up when you know people ask, well, how did this come about? And I'll tell them, I said, well, this is what happened. And they go, when was that? And, and you tell them, they go, I didn't even know what was going on back then. And it's like, you know, it's so funny. I can, if you ask a rule, there's there's rules that are in the you know the Unified rules today that I came up with. Back in nineteen ninety four, then ninety five, then ninety six, because a fight would take place and something would happen, I go, man, you can't have that, and I would put in a rule based upon uh, the boss Bob Myerowitz who owned it, allowing yeah. it. I would put it in the rule and it, it stayed.
1: Yeah, I mean, I mean, really, honestly, I would think that probably because of where you came in at the, so early in the sport, there's probably not going to be a referee or anybody else that comes along now and is going to have such an impact on molding what it, I mean. People are always going to come in and rules are going to tweak here and there, like most recently, the two hands down. And guys can come up with stuff like that now, but as far as the majority of what it's been shaped, I mean, we came from when growing shots were legal and you could throw someone over the top of a cage. Yeah. I mean, you had to put in a rule that you couldn't put your finger in an orifice. No orifice. <laughs> and that came about why?
0: Because? Someone did <laughs> yeah. Someone did it. That's the whole reason. So it makes a lot of sense then that, uh, and Frank just pointed it out, what a unique benefit it's going to be to have a referee transition to commentary. Because we see it with fighters all the time. I can't actually think of another example, at least on a high-profile level, where this has ever happened before. Can you, is there somebody I'm not thinking of? No,
2: I'm not in fighting, actually. You know, when you're talking about, like, football, the NFL's kind of brought in some old officials mm-hmm. to uh, – Talk about you know calls that are being made and what should be done and what's the right call. Yeah. And is that is that gonna be a, a catch or is it not? But in fighting, it isn't. And and one of the things that happens with a lot of commentators, and you know, Joe Rogan's the he's the big gun, is the color commentator that everyone listens to. When Joe Rogan says something, it's gospel. Yeah, it is absolutely Joe Rogan said it so it has to be, when a lot of times Joe doesn't know, mm-hmm. he just knows. I don't like what I'm seeing. I don't like what's occurring. I don't think that's right, even though he really doesn't know, is it right? Which is the right way forward? Which does
1: actually really surprised go. me because, you know, John does it every year. They You know, he has to do a course where he everybody comes down. He gets certified as a referee, as right. judging. And I told you, you know, I've missed it this year, but that's a goal of mine. Like, hey, you know, when he does it, as a commentator and, and you as a journalist, we should take the course. Oh, yeah. And I was like, well, shit, Joe's been doing this for a long time. Have you ever taken a course? He's like, no. I'm like, I would, what I think is going to happen is that people now are going to listen to John and go, "Oh fuck, he's not just speculating; he's actually saying, explaining what's going on inside the cage." You're, okay, this is why the referee's doing this right now. This is what's going on, or, or what the referee made made a mistake. The fighter did this. Doesn't understand what's going on. That now can occur where it's no longer just like I said, John, you know, Joe making speculations. Like, well, the guy knows what he's actually talking about. It's going to force all the other the commentators, myself included. It's like, well better take a course so you actually know what the fuck you're talking about. You're not just thinking, you know, oh, yeah. I, I think that shouldn't happen that way. Now, when, when is the first uh, card that you're going to call? Do we know yet? Uh, yeah, the first
2: card uh, that I'm calling is this uh, this Saturday coming up, January 20th.
0: Oh, we're going. Yes, we are. going to be there. Okay, awesome. So you're going to do color commentating uh, on that uh, with, with Goldberg, Goldberg right? right? With my Goldberg. Okay, yeah. Awesome. And then, uh, what was the? Tell us about how the whole thing came together. You know, how you got the call. And- Man, honestly, it was.
2: Uh, I did. I did not know. You know, I had the UFC here. Uh, December thirtieth was the, the last show they had for the year. Yeah. And I went and officiated that, and I got a call that day from Scott Coker saying, "Hey, you know, uh, you know, Jimmy Smith is uh, he's going his own way, and uh, we're we're separating on really good terms." And your name come up? Would you want to come in and do an audition for color commentator with uh, us at Bellator? And I said, you know, I sat there and I said, you know, I'm, you know, I, I think so. Let, let me talk to my wife real quick, and I'll call you back. Mm-hmm. And I talked to her, and she, you know, she was like, you know, yes, this is this is good for you. And she goes, where else would you want to be a color commentator? Where else could you get an opportunity for that? And that's, you know, she's pretty smart. You know, I, I don't give her enough credit, but it's true when you're looking at it. That job is one that, it's, there's not a lot of opportunities to get a job like that. Mm-hmm. And so it was, you know, I, I called and I said, you know what, I love the opportunity. I flew out to, um, I want to say I flew out to Los Angeles on the 4th. Mm-hmm. And that night I was getting a call saying, hey, man, if you want the job, it's yours.
0: Am I, am I spacing on any other example of this? Because I'm thinking, I mean, we've seen plenty of fighters transition to commentator. We've seen professional broadcasters do it. But when have we ever seen... A referee no, moved abroad. The it might actually start a new trend.
1: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, I mean seriously. I mean, with some of the referees that they know, you know, as they get a higher level, good personality. Yeah. It makes sense to me. I mean, I think that's why you see. Uh, I mean, Joe Rogan's kind of a throwback. He was never a fighter, you know, but good personality on the X Factor. So he got into it, and then you know later on fear he's learning Marshall, for Fear Factor. He's I learned, think X
0: Factor's a singing show. Is that? Uh, I don't know. I, don't know. I think so. <laughs> but uh, you know,
1: he's somebody that you know has an entertainer's background, right. comedians, and movies, but never has ever stepped into a combat, you know, never been in a cage. So then you get fighters. I
0: resemble that remark.
1: So your fighters <laughs> that have actually been there. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, then we have some more insight because then I can sit there and go, this is what he's feeling, mm-hmm. this is what he's yep. thinking, you know, and then now, even a step further is uh, the referee who actually knows all the rules in the system and been there inside the cage, outside the cage. I think it's a Phenomenal idea! I'm surprised I actually. Well, you no know, one's done it before, right? Was yeah. that something you thought about
2: doing
0: before, John? Well,
2: yeah, you know, people are going to go back to like 10 years ago. I, I actually left officiating and went and worked with a, a company that was in Canada at the time called uh, what
0: was it called? For well, it's I a remember. bad sign? The Apparently, white, the white Network. Okay, oh, sorry, I'm okay, idiot. all right. But uh,
2: it was totally different circumstances at the time. The reason yeah. I was doing it, I was really getting out of you know contracting. I knew that I was going to come back to officiating because that's what I wanted to do. Yeah, and it was this is I didn't plan this at all. Didn't think about it. It was spur of the moment. Okay, I'll t- I'll try that audition, and then when I got the opportunity, I really looked at it. And and this year, you know, Frank knows because I got hurt. I got hurt really bad with a, a neck problem, and I'd already mm-hmm. had one neck surgery before, and I ended up you know ended up having two more. So if you look around my neck, it looks like someone tried to cut my head off because. I got
0: hurt, and it... That's t- a better story, by <laughs> the way. Go with that one, it's about when somebody tried to cut your head off. Exactly. Or
2: I got hurt back. to the point I realized, man, you know what?
0: I'm getting older,
2: and I don't... You know, I can't do the things I did in the past, and I don't heal anywhere close to the same, and that made made me look at, you know what? How much longer can you really... It, I'm, I'm one good shot away when, you know, if you come in to break up Frank Mir, and he's a big guy, and you you try to push them in certain ways and move your body between guys, but... He's going after somebody. Look, you get hit a lot. It yeah. happens, and sometimes when you're not expecting to get hit a certain way, it you know it tweaks you and stuff. I had one time, Court McGee was going to throw a kick, and I, I put my arm out to stop it so it wouldn't hit the opponent at the end of the round. And I can tell you, it hit my arm, and I, I caught it and let him down. And no one knew, but my arm was dead for the entire night because just it hit a nerve a certain way. And I'm getting older, and it was like Jesus Christ, I can't I can hardly yeah. can feel my hand it happens. And so I just looked at it and said, you know what? I would rather be the guy that makes the decision. I'm going to walk away now where I'm at, where I'm, you know, I'm not saying I'm the best, but I'm up at the top and I can make that decision and walk away happy with the career that I've had, or I can wait. And I've seen guys wait and then they, they start to tail off. And then people are saying Man, you need to retire.
0: And I didn't mm-hmm. want to be that guy. Do you think now, what kind of How's your uh, how's your mindset working as you're about to make this transition obviously not getting a lot of notice to do it because you know now there's a lot of where I guess in the past as a top official you needed to be up on rules and things like that now you got to be up on fighter records now you got to be up on whose wife is pregnant and you, you know what I'm saying like you got to work some of <laughs> That's that Goldberg you know?
2: stuff I don't care about the pregnant wives I care about what happens in that cage for the most part but you no know, it the truth is you know I didn't as far as having to do things beforehand as a referee, I watch fights. Mm-hmm. I watched all kinds of fights, and I watch new techniques that guys are doing, as far as grappling and even stand up, and go to gyms and watch guys, you know, sparring and things like that. But you know, now I have put in so much work mm-hmm. in the backgrounds of every fighter that I'm going to be calling at this show. It's like completely different than anything I've done, and I just look at it. You know, if you want to be successful. You need to put in the work to be successful. And I, and I, I don't have a problem working hard. I just want to work I smart think it took while us us out. No, I
0: didn't. We're good. Oh,
1: really?
0: Yeah. I was just going straight to you. Yeah. So I think, sorry, I'm doing a little producing on the fly. we I'll just pull <laughs> back the curtain. I'll explain what happened. Because we are using, uh, uh, we are at the BitPixel Studios. And, of course, this is where uh, Forrest Griffin and TJ Lavin take their Anything Goes podcast. And I think for whatever reason, um some levels got changed and some things got moved around. I so, hear um, kind of Yeah, yeah. So I, we're okay. We're okay. I'm just kind of monitoring as we go. And we're trying out our new producer, Mikey, tonight. So Mikey's over here behind the scenes. So uh, just kind of uh, explaining that to the listeners. Keep an eye on that Mikey, battery. Mikey, you
1: got big eyes. So every time I look over at you, you have that look like it's oh. not
0: going well. <laughs> he's
1: also, he's also. <laughs> have certain looks to it. Yeah. You, you kind of have that look towards stay <laughs> <laughs> focused kitchen's on fire <laughs> I keep saying like, I wonder how it's going he's like,
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well he's, he's also another another heavyweight which means that I, I realized when I first got into the studio I was like all right I need everybody out so I can move around the table because it was bad <laughs> enough once Frank is in here I'm having to crawl underneath the table and everything so uh, yeah we, we've added some size all right so uh so very cool so Friday's going to be uh the first uh, uh gig for the the color commentary I mean, now it is going suit
1: or like nice dress shirt. Like, Because, you, you know, like, Goldberg has to wear the suit. Yeah. But then you got Rogan and, you know, yeah, somebody's just you know what? Like, what are we going for? Well, you
2: got to be honest. I got a face for radio. All right? <laughs> I, and I understand this. So I, I can't go with the Rogan, you know, I'm just going to wear a shirt. Or gonna gonna J- a Jimmy, Jimmy Smith looked like he was going to skateboard down the way. You know, he just got that cool look. I will be in a a, uh, suit. It'll be a nice suit. Maybe not a tie. I don't know about that. Open
0: collar is cool.
2: Open collar might be a little relaxed, but I'll definitely. All
0: right. How much? Let's just say I might have a little discretionary bonus money in my pocket. All right. How much to get you to show up for the first night? Wearing that uh, the the old school uh, thing you used to wear in the UFC, the kind of the, the baggy <laughs> pants and the the Buttafucos, That's what yeah, I'm the, like, right? <laughs> the Buttafucos. That's <laughs> a good yeah. That's a good Yes. yes yeah, man, all those weightlifters
2: and stuff. Yeah, yeah. You know, I wore that because I had a friend. His name was Bobby Donnelly, and he had a company, Body Alive. And he asked me to wear it, and I was like, you yeah. know, it's not like you paid me, but I was like, mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely. I'm it's doing a good. friend a favor, and it, you know, worked for a long time, and then when. Uh, Changed over to the uh, Fertitas and stuff, they were like, Why are you wearing that? There's a friend of mine, he's gonna think you're not wearing that anymore, okay? So that was the change of that
0: one. That'd be a good item for like the MMA Hall of Fame or something. Somebody'd probably like to have that, you know. On the <laughs>
2: <sport>. <laughs> you know what? I'm telling you right now, I am selling so much memorabilia. In like fact, it's gonna happen sometime in I want to say middle of February. There's an mm-hmm. you know, auctioning it off. I have so much crap, and I, w- I was. I have a big old warehouse, you know, that I'm renting a storage thing. I'm like,
0: why am I renting Why am I holding
2: on to this stuff? This is ridiculous. So I went through all of them, and I have them from UFC 2. I have the T-shirt no to shit. UFC 4. The UFC. F- the, well, it's funny because UFC 5, 6, and 7 is actually the same shirt. I just kept on putting, adding a, an additional Roman numeral <laughs>
0: <laughs> to it. So.
2: Yeah, I still got them all. All
0: right. Well, put me down for – I will make a bid on the Buttafucos. Okay. So those go up on the eBay block.
2: That's cool. I well, you know, I have. I will tell you what, I'm okay. gonna give you. I, I actually have, I have the ones that I wore in the thing, and those have gone to someone. But I right. do have an additional shirt,
0: so I'll get you an old shirt. Oh, I'm in. There you okay, go, okay. Buddy. yes, thank you, John. Yeah, absolutely. I might, I might actually at some point actually be able to get that on Joey Buttafucco. <laughs> if so, I will get a photo for <laughs> there you, you go. for sure. Yeah. <laughs> do
1: you know Joey Buttafucco? I do. Of course you do. Of course you do. <laughs> I know, yeah. I know. That's a game we need to play. Who does Richard not have a tie
0: to? Well, the funny thing is that, that because because John knows you way better than he does me, the, the funny dichotomy of all this is is that once we start doing all that, he's going to think I'm the seediest guy in the world. And then when the story arcs, he realizes I'm actually the straightest guy in the world. That's right. Right,
1: Frank? I think I've told you, I because mean, if I told you, you know, Richard never drank alcohol. He's never no. touched a drug. Yeah, no, he's the most straight-edge guy. No, which... And the reason why I say that, I mean, I'm sure there's other straight-edge people out there, but they typically don't look like they're an 80s rocker.
0: Right. They typically don't know Joey Badafuka. Yeah, I you know. i yeah. friends
1: with Ron Jeremy and... Uh, there you know, go. Off. No. You're all around Ron Jeremy.
0: That's right. Nice, I, man. I like it because by comparison to me, I always seem like the most put-together guy in the room. That's what I strive for. There you, you go. Know? Oh, yeah. yeah. And
1: you usually win that one pretty well. Yeah. Especially these groups of people you think out with.
0: That's <laughs> it. So cool. So so, and then as Frank uh, mentioned at the beginning, I mean, refereeing is not completely off the table, or is it? We no. still be doing some refereeing. How will well, this work? Well, this is where not for the UFC. Yeah, <laughs> well, that's it, and that's all these people. So you're still going to referee for the UFC?
3: No,
2: you know, come on. Do you think the UFC would want me if I'm commentating their a competitor in Bellator? Yeah, they want me coming in and refereeing their fights. That's right. not going to happen. But you know, look at I, I used to do a lot of charity stuff. You know, charity. You know fights and things like that, and I'll still go do those, and internationally, I can go and do what I want, and if there's a, you know, a company that wants me to work, I'll go out and still work for them if uh, it's the
0: right thing to do at the right time. Okay. So so that can solve. Now, what about, uh, will you? I guess, you can't really be doing all the ACB trips now either, too, you, because... be
1: way more selective.
0: Yeah, because yeah. there'll be a lot of scheduling conflicts, yeah. I think, with Dollar Tour and stuff. That. Because that's another thing for, for people, uh, I know a lot of our listeners, I followed ACB because of Frank they see so you turned up on there a lot too yeah. so they were they were bringing you over to do that. No, that was
1: only yeah. thing I was kind of bummed out about. Was yeah. Usually John and are my travel buddies. They yeah. Were, actually, you know, with the ACB, you know, everyone talks about
2: it. I had a blast there. You know, Frank being part of it. You know, we had fun, you know, there's good people involved with it. And mm-hmm. that's what, you know, it's you can ask Frank, you can look at the UFC. You know, and it's when you're a guy that's been around a long I was there from the beginning. You know, it was the traveling circus for a long time. And even when he started, because he started right when Lorenzo and uh, Frank Fortita bought it. It only eight employees. Exactly. It was small and it was family-like. It yeah. wasn't this giant corporate business where everything was yeah. now bottom line, what is it? Mm-hmm. It was different. And I miss a lot of that. And that's what ACB is when, yeah. our, when you're there. Mm-hmm. It's back to the traveling circus. Mm-hmm. And, you know, sometimes that traveling circus is fun to be part of.
0: What do you think about where Bellator is at right now? Because I think they're in a sweet spot in between those two. I mean, clearly, you know, the, the number two promotion with with a bullet uh, behind the UFC. But what I see them doing right now is a lot of pieces falling into place. You know, Frank and I have talked about this on the podcast. But, you know, for, for the longest time, they had under-the-radar homegrown talent, guys like Michael Chandler. They had uh, legendary names, but, you know, some guys who were – were past their prime years, they, you know, Ken Shamrock, that sort of thing. But then then they hit this spot where they started bringing in blue chip free agents. You know, the the uh, Phil Davis's Lorenz Larkins, Rory McDonald's yep you know (laughs) yeah but you know what i'm saying like i mean when they started doing that and now you see the way that the shows are being struck i think a lot of it had to do when scott coker came on as well but this this heavyweight tournament that's right right it just seems like there's a lot of things that are happening in the right order
1: well in my opinion on it the thing is that what john's alluding to is that the ufc now look fighting we're not a mainstream sport anybody goes oh we're up there with baseball football basketball look we're extremely popular we're like a niche sport we're just we're just our own little thing it's kind of like you know skateboarding it's its own thing i mean we have our superstars but only amongst the fans of that genre yeah and that's what we are in the fighting world so i think if you want to run a company i think the people that bought the ufc were just a little mistaken on what they were getting their hands on the new owners yeah the new owners you buy a football team and i I get it it's turnkey you could take one guy from one team and move him into another team Uh, a guy who knows marketing knows marketing for that sport they understand Mm -hmm. it on that level, I mean, you can go from baseball, basketball, like those guys, it's it's much more mainstream and get it. But to do our sport, first and foremost, you have to be a fan of it. And that's what actually reason why the Fertittas did so well with it. Yep. They're fans of the sport. They were going yeah. out to prides. I remember when I worked at Station Casinos in 99, working the front desk. They're like, oh, you're into that fighting stuff. I'm like, yeah, yeah. He goes, yeah, Lorenzo just went to something in Japan. I'm like, it's a yeah, pride. Was, yeah. yeah, they're interested in that shit. They like it. They were taking lessons, jujitsu lessons by John Lewis at JSEC. You know, yeah, they Yeah, were... I started that. <laughs> uh, did you? Oh yeah, I met I met Lorenzo Fertita at uh, UFC
2: 21. He came in with uh, Glenn Carano, Flip Holmanski, and one really? other individual that was just you know part of the thing it had nothing to do. But those were the three that had something to do with the Nevada State Athletic Commission, and they came in because at the time. You know, you got the whole story that you know, even they put out, oh, you know, we, when we bought it, we saw they were running from regulation and we were trying to run towards it. Not true. Okay, like we were running towards regulation from UFC 15 because I started getting licensed as an official from UFC 15 because that was the way that the UFC was going to get back on cable. But I met Lorenzo Fertitta. He came to watch it because we we're trying to get it licensed, you know, actually you know, legalized here in Nevada. And when Lorenzo was on the athletic commission, he the, was on the athletic, athletic commission. commission. He along with Glenn Carano, and that's another story for it. But he at the time he didn't like it. In fact, his it's, his biggest thing such a was boxing background. Exactly. And Flip O'Mansky, who was the medical director for the for the Athletic Commission here, he loved it. He was great. Glenn Carano hated it. Mm. He thought it was the worst thing ever because he goes, These guys are trying to hurt each other. And I go, No, you need to understand they're they're competing. I go, this is what they do. And he goes, John, you can't tell me. I said, let me make this clear. I said, when when you play quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys, and you drop back in the pocket to pass, and Lawrence Taylor is coming around he, your blind He's not just trying to put you down easily. I, I said, do you think he's just trying to tackle you? Or is he trying to put you out of the game? He goes, You can
0: ask Joe Theismann's leg. Well, exactly. That, and, right? and he
2: goes, that's different. I go, no, it's not. He's doing what he needs to do to gain a victory. I go, he's going to put you <laughs> out if he can. I said, that's what, it's legal and he's going to do it. I go, it's the same thing. These guys, he, he hated it. But Lorenzo was like, he, you know, there were parts of it he liked. And he, he told me, he said, he goes, he goes, the one thing I really have a problem with is these guys, when they're on the ground and they're hitting each other. He goes, I, I really have a problem with that. And I go, that's because of the background you come from. I said, you come from a boxing background. You love boxing. I go, and it's also what you've been taught. Over your over your lifespan is you know you don't hit someone on the ground you don't kick someone when they're down. I go you watch John Wayne when he's in the movie. I said John Wayne hits a guy, knocks him down. He doesn't go over, jump, mount him, and start you know throwing fists and elbows. He grabs him, picks him up, stands back up, and pops him again and puts him back down. He goes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I go that's not real. Yeah. And I and I said I, 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 I told him I said what you need to understand what these guys doing on the ground. I said look at. I go, you live in Las Vegas, I have a good friend, John Lewis, he's there, he's got a school. If you have any questions, I'll give you his number, just call John, and you can go down to his school, and you can start to watch, and you'll learn that what these guys are doing is not just rolling on the ground, there's technique to everything they're doing. And the next thing I know, John Lewis says, hey, you know he's my student now. And you look, and you go, "Oh, that's awesome. And I, and I love the fact, and it's like you said, they were fight people. Yeah. And that's what made the difference. You look at what who bought the UFC, and you know nothing wrong with any of them, great people, but they're business people. Yeah. Yeah. And their bottom line is not about who's the greatest fighter. Their bottom line is about
0: dollars. It's it's amazing that, that particularly mixed martial arts always told people, just a little bit of basic training will change your perspective so much. Because mm-hmm. when I started, I didn't do anything athletic my whole entire life. My extracurricular activity in high school was debate. Right, so the really the first athlete. Don't laugh at that, Mrs. <laughs> um But the uh, the 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 first actual athletic accomplishment I had was when I got a blue belt in jiu-jitsu. I mean, that, as a as an adult, and that's you know? an
2: accomplishment. But
0: it changed so much of the way that I see the sport, cover the sport, talk about. it. Doesn't make me an expert, but in terms of just being able to see things differently, you know, and, and I could see whether you're an athletic commissioner or an owner or anything, how just a just a little bit of that could really uh, fine-tune your perspective. And fans
1: in general, you can't watch a sport. Mm-hmm. I mean, football, I love watching football. But mm-hmm. I understand the basics of the sport played in high school. I know what second and third, what that means, mm-hmm. you know. But if I took, I mean, I remember my father coming from Cuba. He told me, he goes, when I first started watching football, man, mm-hmm. like they, they go hike, everybody just rushes into each other. Play stops and they start over. Mm-hmm. What the hell am I watching? Mm-hmm. Then through being, you know, acclimated, through being here in the country, he learned about it, loves the sport. But you know, no one likes anything if you don't get what's going on. Yeah. Once you start understanding, and that's one thing, If having a, especially boxing is easy to figure out, the basics of it. I mean, to understand what's really going on, you need some training. But you could take anybody to a boxing match and go, like, oh, he's punching him in the face. Okay, he slipped. Mm-hmm. All right, I, I get it. You watch it, MMA, the grappling aspect, you're just sitting there looking at it going, they're just laying on each other. Like, oh, There's a lot going
2: on. That, you know, and it's, it's so funny you say it because there's so many times, you know, referee, you know, guys are doing something and I have, you know, the world, you know, the, the arena is going, you know, boo, stand them up. And I, and, and I see what the guys, I see where he's going. I know yeah. exactly where he's yeah. going to go. And I go, 15 more seconds, this fight's going to end. And I'm going to go, you. <laughs> because you people have no clue. And it drives me crazy. But it's really not their fault because a lot of the times, we don't have people truly explaining it to them yeah. the right way. They're sitting there and they're saying, well, oh, he's going for a kumura. Tell me why the Khmer's is going to work in that position and why it's not going to work in that position. That's yeah. what you need to start telling people because when you roll and you know, you know, oh, he's not going to get that there or, oh, he's in trouble. Mm-hmm. And that's the difference. And just being part of the this, this sport, if you're going to jiu-jitsu class or you're going to a, you know a boxing or a uh, kickboxing, start to understand the different elements that these guys are doing the one thing that's really different about M- mma is the levels and what people do not understand because in if it's pro football you know you you're graduated by you know you're a high school football player and you get a scholarship well that means you got to be pretty good mm-hmm. you got a scholarship to play yeah. football and then you go and you play your four years of football and then you get drafted by the nfl and then you make the team mm-hmm you have been verified, you've been validated as you're a professional. Mm-hmm. You can do the same thing in baseball. You can do the same thing in basketball. But in fighting, the difference is we get a lot of people that go to jiu-jitsu class, or don't even go to jiu-jitsu class. They just, I'm a tough guy. And they can get licensed by an athletic commission, and they're a pro MMA fighter. Now they suck, okay? They can't they can't fight their way out of a wet sack. And then you have the people like Frank here. Okay, This is an NFL-quality fighter, and people have no idea how good he is. I mean, they just don't get that, man, you don't understand the level that he is compared to what you think is tough and good. And if we could ever get to that point where people truly understood the levels of what some of these guys yeah. are at, that would be
0: I always tell the story, but it, it maybe bears repeating here uh, because of what John brings up. But I, to this day, will still get these phone calls from friends who, you know, they, they know I work in MMA, journal, you know, journalism cover it and all that. And I'll get the call. It's usually when uh, Demetrius is fighting in a main event, right? Oh, yes. So all my all my, my high school buddies have gotten <laughs> together for a fight-watching party, right? And I'll get the call from my friend who goes, all right, okay, dude, now I, go, right, I got a question. Okay, now you know I played... High school football, okay, right. And uh, I had a question now if I stopped drinking beer for the <laughs> whole summer, okay, No, I know the question already I get everyone I'm, asking me, this I'm all still in pretty good shape, okay. I'm sorry, you haven't seen me in a few years, but I'm still in pretty good shape, dude. Come on now, be honest, I could kick his ass, right? I could kick his. I'm like, this is this would go so differently than you <laughs> you see it in your head. I mean, on so many different levels, like, first of all, you'd never get a hold of like you just he'd he'd hit you you wouldn't know where you how, where the punch came from he'd be gone he would be standing in front of you he wouldn't get tired you'd get tired from swinging and missing I mean there's so many things that are not going to happen it's going to be embarrassing like four different ways well most least. people
1: don't want to see the truth right? I remember <laughs> the first time I did I was 19 years old had wrestled in high school you know played football and stuff and, and did martial arts stand up martial arts with my dad for years right so I thought I I knew how to fight pretty well. I remember the first time I was in a jiu jitsu class. I had a friend of mine. He goes, I'm doing judo. I'm like, oh, I'm really interested in judo. He goes, why do jiu jitsu too? I'm like, oh, I'll do both. Sure, let's, let's go. I, I, that Hoist Gracie guy, I've always wondered how to do that stuff. Mm-hmm. So he took me down to a gym here in Vegas. And I remember I, I rolled with a guy who was a blue belt and he was running the class because, you know, back in '99, there wasn't many others. There wasn't yeah. many people doing anything. And it probably weighed 145 pounds. I mean, I graduated high school, I weighed 240, mm-hmm. you know. So I'm sitting there, I grabbed the guy and start throwing him around. I'm like, oh, okay, what's Boom. Next thing I know, it's when I first got introduced to what a triangle was. And I got choked. I mean, I'm, the room's closing in. I'm like, you know, <laughs> don't know what's going on? And then I remember I sat there on the bench afterwards, just kind of like nodding my head going, whoa, this is fucking magic. Yeah. Dude, I need to learn how to do this. See, that was a, the
2: very first time I I, I met Horry and Gracie through a committee that was part of the LAPD. and it, I was on a martial arts review committee. Had this incident was with this guy who he was part of Huarang Do. I, and I wrestled in box. Was, was that a Mexican boy thing? Yeah, exactly. Know, it's no, it's, it's oh, actually exactly. okay. Taekwondo <laughs> derived off of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And he's, he's doing a demonstration and he's, he's throwing this kid around. And, but the kid's letting him do it. And so I, I was sitting there and I was sitting on the table, kind of like that. And he, he picked me out. And he goes, he says, Excuse me. says, He says, Are you thinking this doesn't work? And I go, No disrespect. I said, He's letting you do that. It's different when someone doesn't let you do that and up on something back. Hmm. And so, I end up going up there with him and I get yelled at by my boss. And Corian Gracie sits down next to me and he just starts to ask me, says, where do you work out?" And I go, excuse me? I said, no, I work up here. And he invites me to his gym and I go. And, you know, he had just opened it up. It was brand new. It had been open for one week. It was 1991, somewhere in there. And... He says he goes he says he goes, you know, would you want to fight? Do you want to grapple? I said,
3: No, I don't
2: want to fight, let's grapple, you know? And he pulls his brother hoist out and you know, we go from a stand-up and I pick him up and put him down and I've got him in the cradle and I've got an S grip at the time, right? And I'm just squeezing down like oh, this guy's not it's a pin in wrestling. right? Okay. It ain't Crap in <laughs> that and he's, he's he's I was about two hundred and ninety-five at the time or so. I put a lot of pressure, and he's like, and he's giving his little breathing, and he, and he started to talk to me, and he goes, and he says, he says, oh, you see Rocky, right? And I, go, I
1: was kind of like, he's on talking
2: me, and he goes, he says, everyone think he lose too, and he starts, you know, trying to kick and wiggle, and I'm just holding, holding. Finally, I say, well, I got to do something different. I'm a different everything, and all of a sudden, legs come up. There goes my arm, and I'm getting an barred, and you know, ah. and I do the tap. And it was that magical, i got
0: to learn that. You know, learn, yeah. You know? I, I, would, I always think it's interesting to see, you know, having having done some, you know, after year two in jujitsu, jitsu it's like you'll see the guys that come in first day who were, you can tell were good athletes in high school. They had size. They're used to being able to use the size, you know. Yeah. And in whatever they've tried, they can kind of apply it. And there's always that first day when you see them just kind of – Ed hung low walking out to the car like, you know, what happened? I just got
2: my ass kicked by a 135-pound person. <laughs> that's true. But you know what's
0: interesting is if they don't give up after that first day and they keep coming back, it changes go? their thinking. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, they become, to me, I think they become better people, you know, because they realize that that's not going to get you through life just, yeah. you know, being a big guy. Yeah. Um, okay. Random question for you, John. This is one I was thinking about today. I knew we were going to have you up here. <clears throat> okay. You know, you had done, gosh, thousands and thousands and thousands of fights. And before the fight, you, you ask the two people, you know, are you ready, right? And then you say, are you ready, right? And then you, you, you tell them to the fight. Okay, if if you were doing it with Frank and I right now, can you just do the, are you ready? Are you ready? And, you know, you give them the nod, Frank, like you would do. first exactly. right. Yeah, absolutely. So,
2: are you ready? Are you ready?
1: That's
0: exactly what Did I would say. I Did you
2: catch
1: it? Okay, I see, no, but that's, that's how intuitive <laughs> he was. Yeah. I've I've seen that happen. Oh, you have. I've watched it happen. Oh, I've seen it happen too. Yeah. Okay. Multiple times. Well, I'm I've only seen it once. Oh, I've seen it multiple. I was. Times. I think what was I? In Florida. It was the guy West Sims before I fought West Sims. Yeah. That's where I first fought, saw yeah. West Sims. He was fighting. You know, and, and at the time, I think West Sims was like two and zero. Oh. He was fighting some guys like six and one. They walk into the cage.
0: By the way, I'm sorry. I need to explain for people who aren't watching the video. I shook my head no. That's <laughs> what happened. Okay, right, go ahead.
1: Right. So uh, i I'm, we're sitting there watching the fights. I'm uh. uh um, who's the guy from uh, 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 Dan Lambert? Guys were there. Yeah, the whole ATT teams there. Mm-hmm. Carla Boyer watching. Uh, they had one of the, some of the guys on the show. So, but then here walks Wes Sims. Here his opponent walks. in, kind of a chubby kid, but oh. kind of thick. Look like he played offensive line. You know? So sitting there, and all of a sudden, go and they go through the thing, and they do the thing, and all of a sudden, the guys like. What's happening? So then, like the referee walks over and he's like talking to him in his uh-huh. ear, and we're all like confused, like what's going on right now? So he's tired, and the kid's taped up, gloved up. Right? I mean, it's that moment you're ready, to, ready yeah. to fight. Yeah. <laughs> and so then Jamie Levine has to walk in; it's his show. Jamie Levine, right? So he's in there talking, and then he goes to the crowd, like, "Hey, everybody, we have a little bit of cold feet. Give a guy a cheer." The guy shakes his head. They have to open the cage and let the guy out. Like, hey. <laughs> I'm like, that is the worst walk of shame <laughs> ever. <laughs> like, I mean, I've thought about like man, you know, there's times you're wrapping your hands as a fighter, and I'm sitting there going.
0: Fuck, why do I do this?
1: <laughs> why am I here right yeah. now? Well, I'm impressed. Because the
0: reason I asked was I was thinking, you know, I wonder if he really looks directly at him when he says that. Because it's one of those things where it might be like, you know, when you see somebody and you're like, hey, how's it going? I'm not really expecting you to tell me how it's going. I'm expecting you to go, oh, good, yeah, oh, yeah, you, know, you know, like, not, oh, my God, let me tell so, you. I mean, it have it you
1: ever that. had that happen to you personally? Yes. Is? Tell yeah. the story. That's crazy. Oh, no, that How happened. do you deal with
2: it? No, the best ones are not, the best ones are the ones that I haven't had to deal with. It's other people because it's when a guy does that and the referee goes, "What's the problem?" He goes, "I don't want to fight. You gotta fight. You're in the cage. You gotta fight." Yeah. And they make them fight. I and don't it's know to do that. Well, there you go. You got it. Go, you say I don't you want fight, to you fight. Get out, man. Exactly. You can't do. You, yeah. You can't. We, we don't serve make you. people fight. Right. This is something they want to do. Right. Plus, you asked. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> you know, the, the, one, the, one,
1: the one time now i was getting raifey. <laughs> the funny time that happened with me is
2: I did it right, and the guy goes, you know, and I go, you ready? Are you ready? And he goes, and I go, are you ready? And he goes, I just wanted to see what you would do.
0: That's good.
1: I wish I would have yeah. thought of that. That's
0: funny. <laughs> that is impressive. All right. Very nice. All right. Now, uh, John mentioned LAPD all right, I, I want to. I've been looking forward to having you on. I don't know if Frank told you about this or not, but I heard you do a podcast, maybe it was Joe Rogan's, I heard you do a podcast where you talked about the O.J. Simpson case. Well, uh, maybe Joey it was Diaz. There it was, was Joey Diaz's, Diaz's podcast. Diaz. Now Diaz. flavor. I have interviewed O.J. Simpson for a, probably a total of about four hours on two different occasions the year before he went to jail, so pretty much as recently as anybody could. I want to bounce some ideas off sure. of you and see what you think. After, Frank, we let everybody know that it is time for a brand new season of the phone booth fighting Celebrity Death Pool League. Are you ready, Frank? The league launched today. Look at the look on John's face. Uh, the uh, league launched today. I'm glad you brought this up. I have a Okay. You've got until a week from Friday as we uh, tape, so that's going to be, uh, what, 24th. Uh, the rosters are going to lock on January 24th. It is open to all phone booth fighting listeners. What you need to do is go to Celebrity com, look up phone booth fighting. You'll see our league. Join. It's absolutely free, and the uh, this season's winner Uh, like this past season's winner, is going to get a phone booth fighting prize pack. We'll get you a T-shirt, autographed poster, some other stuff in there as well. Congratulations to Washed Up Willie, by the way, who won the league. Uh, He beat out, we had over 100 and some odd phone booth fighting listeners play in this league uh, this uh, year, and he bested them all, so the prize pack is uh, on its way. And we may as well take this opportunity to uh, reveal... We've got a big road trip coming up. Oh,
1: uh we, we're still talking about the Death rule. Yes. Yeah. We move yeah. On? He's got a question, man. Yeah. We right. got a question. Okay, so well, I I'll, so
0: I'll, I'll get to the big announcement and the road trip a little bit later. Hit so, me with a uh, question.
1: So what's our bonus on this season?
0: What, oh, oh musicians.
1: Musicians. Yes. So are you in there? Uh, I could be. <laughs> I think we need to go and get you be, in there. But here's the Would thing. Would be awkward if I picked you? Uh, no.
0: No, it'd be Which fine. Which we kind it's of suck. It's all fair. As far as that, you're I'm the be definition a, of a long shot.
1: Yeah, you're you're definitely a long shot. I start. take real good Plus, care too, of myself. I won't get it any bonuses. Show
0: John, but I take good <laughs> care of myself. What's
1: that? Plus, I'm not going to get any crazy bonuses besides the musician part.
0: Yeah, that's true. There's a I mean, whole mean, you know, drug overdose. You know, down, you know, so you know not John, find how, how you yeah. have had a lot to do with cultivating the rules of mixed martial arts. Uh, the Celebrity Deathpool League is is very refined too in all of its uh, uh, point scoring <laughs> it's system. Dark man, it's dark. And uh, each year there's a new bonus category. This year's bonus category is uh, musicians. I don't know if you know the comedian Doug Stanhope, yeah. but he uh, we play in his uh, league every year, and then we have our own listener league, and they all uh, basically all play.
1: So we get to pick 20 people that are celebrities. Some people pick some pretty obscure people, but you know, like I pick Fidel Castro. Right? So it's their age. That's a celebrity. Yeah, he's a politician. He's celebrity? a politician, but hey, a celebrity. Yeah. Well, well, he's, he's famous. He could he's very, very famous. Famous, okay. he's you know, famous. Thank yeah. you very famous. Yeah. yeah. And so uh, it's their age hundred is what points you get. Okay. Right. So not a lot of points there, but because they have the politician bonus, you have like the athlete bonus. They have certain things like I think uh, you know like uh, if you suicide, you get a bonus. You know, they get murdered, drug overdose. These are all like okay. bonuses you get. However, so like I picked Lindsay Lohan because I figured I was getting all kinds of bonuses. And you had a good chance. Yeah, a really good chance. I mean, her yeah. age, minus 100, Yeah, She's plus young, drugs, right prostitution, some kind of chaotic dirty Before thing.
0: you go thinking we're savages, uh, John, understand that uh, there is some decorum here. Rule number one, and it's stated right there in print, is that you are not allowed to kill a celebrity on your roster? If you do, you will not be awarded the points. Right, you, you, will the not, you will not get the prize. Right. No, if, you won't. If you're caught. That's right. So, uh, phone booth fighting listeners can sign up for this uh, brand new season. Like I said, uh, Doug Stanhope Celebrity Deathful.com. <laughs> <laughs> you want to play with us? You know kind of creepy?
1: Because I'm in there. That's what <laughs> I <I'm> do. <doing. laughs> <laughs> You know, just one of those reminders of your mortality. You're just like, fuck, you know, I'm happy that I'm popular enough to be in there, but damn, that's morbid. <laughs> <laughs> All right,
0: breaking news. John McCarthy is going to field a roster. Uh, we'll be happy to have you in there. And right. if, you're, if you're as competitive as Frank is, it'll be a lot of fun. Oh, Isn't you it? can
1: go on the internet. There's research on this. People put their list. They tell you why. You can go ahead. And like, I go there and I, I spend like a couple hours going through it, you know? Oh, a, I've
0: never heard of it. Not yeah. once. It'll change your life. This okay. time next year, you'll be in a whole different headspace. After you know, I was going to pick not, on my card this year?
1: Bill Clinton. I was really thinking. He was, during the elections, mm-hmm. he was looking well, wasn't looking no, too good. No, he yeah, was yeah. looking
0: bad. History of heart trouble. Oh, yeah. you know? I, I think although, if Hillary was
1: poisoning him, so she'd get the sympathy vote.
0: Although, keep this in mind, though, because I'll, I'll tell you this, uh, especially because last year's uh, bonus was uh, politicians. A lot of people had old presidents. One thing you got to remember about those old presidents. Yes, it ages them, but once you're out, you get great quality health care for life. I mean, they, they, you know, you look at like, even, you know- uh, Jimmy Carter's George, still around. Jimmy Carter. Jimmy Carter can- Do you know what's can, sad? Jimmy I didn't Carter. realize he
1: was still alive
0: until they did that thing where all the presidents were on stage yeah. just recently. I was like, holy shit, Jimmy Carter's still around? Not only is he still around, he's out there building houses. He can drive a nail with one swing of a hammer on those Habitat for Humanity. No but kidding. He's still out there building. them. Yeah. Wow. He's in pretty good, good shape. Friend, yeah. All right. So here's here's uh, the, the the OJ path I wanted to hit you with. Frank and I've had this conversation a bunch. Um I Doug, give you're back because you were on LAPD and you dealt with him something, right? This is what I heard you talk about <laughs> on Joey's. Podcast. Yeah. yeah, it was a uh, yeah, I did. I was a fan. Yeah, okay. And then uh, but but you guys were in the area of town where he would you you interfaced from time to time. Okay. It's it, no.
2: I didn't interface with him much. I have actually had friends that I I worked on LAB yeah. or played football with on L.A. Okay. that were good friends with him. Yeah. And I I ran into him the one time. Yeah. And uh, you know I, I had there was an old guy and I was working Hollywood uh, Patrol at the time and uh, I got a call of an additional unit and I go there and I pull up and there's a Ferrari Testarossa with the light license plate said Juice.
3: Mm-hmm. And right away I'm thinking
2: that's got to be O.J. Simpson. And sure enough I see O.J. Simpson and there's this blonde lady standing there. and Gene Ferrone was the police officer. He's an old, rough guy. And he's like, I he ah, you know, watched this down with him. He says, I think I'm going to take him to jail. Like, Gene, man, you can't take O.J. Simpson to jail. What the hell's wrong with you? And, you know, I ended up talking him out of it. And they went on their way. And this was back in, like, 89. So this was you know, quite a few years before. Mm-hmm. But what know, was the original way they pulled him over? They were arguing, and the uh, car was moving because they were fighting inside the car. Wow. You know, she was uh, hitting him, and he was hitting back. Or, you know, he said he was trying to block, but... You know, just it was a domestic Mm -hmm, thing going on. And uh, at the time, you know, look at, I watched OJ Simpson when he was uh, running back at USC. I watched his entire career. I loved OJ Simpson as a a fan of the NFL. I Mm -hmm. I just loved, you know, who he was and how
0: he conducted himself. And,
2: you know, things changed.
0: Mm. Okay. So I don't, I I mean, I knew obviously who he was, football player. I'm not, I don't know anything about football. Actually, the only, I always tell people, the only uh, sport. That I actually like uh, is combat sports, so that only leaves me martial arts and politics to follow. Uh, so I don't I don't know anything about your more traditional sports, but obviously I, I knew who you was. But when I have always been interested in, yeah, I know that. But what I've uh, have have always, been in, yeah, you know. always been interested in is the <coughs> law because I did debate, mock trial, stuff like that <coughs> in high school. So when the trial was going on, I was working in a in a uh, coffee house. And I worked the day shift, and we had a little TV on remember? the, what's that? Yeah, it was a that code for something more sinister? No, no, no. I was between seedy <laughs> jobs at the time. My band had broken up, and I hadn't started working at a horror house yet. So uh, I was at the, the coffee house. Anyway, so we had a little TV there. And, of course, the trial was televised, and I watched every second of it. I can actually say I watched every second of it. So I took all this in. I came away, and for the longest time, I was the only person I knew who really made this case. That uh, I, had I been on that jury, first of all, instinctively, I think it looks very bad for him. Uh, but if I were walking through the evidence step by step, I could have made a case, and I think if I'd have been on the jury, to acquit him based on uh, reasonable doubt. Really? Now, Can Okay, let me ask
2: you a question. Yeah. So, you have people that are going up on that stand that are medical people. Right. And they're telling you that his blood was found at the scene. Mm -hmm. They're telling you that Ron Goldman's blood was found not only in O.J.'s house. It was on O.J.'s socks and in O.J.'s washing machine. Right. Okay? And they're telling you that this blood that belongs to Ron Goldman is... No doubt, Ron Goldman's blood, and that O.J.'s blood that's at the scene can only be O.J.'s blood because it's a 1 in 15 billion chance of it being somebody else's. Now, how many people are on the face of this planet? At that time, right 6 billion. Right. Okay, so, look, O.J. got off for certain reasons. The reason O.J. got off, as simple as it can be, you had four police officers that were tried for the Rodney King mm-hmm. incident. And that case was moved from where it should have been actually tried, in downtown L.A., right. or either there or at Foothill Court in the valley. It was transferred to Simi Valley. And those officers were acquitted of what was considered, you know, abuse under the color of authority mm-hmm. on, on Rodney King. Now was that the right verdict? Yeah. No. Right. There came a certain point where they were wrong. It mm-hmm. went too far. Yeah, yeah. Okay? And when you have the O.J. incident, O.J.'s crime occurs in West L.A. There's a West L.A. court and Santa Monica court. Okay. That's where everybody that commits a crime in those areas, that's where they go to court. But the the district attorney for the city of Los Angeles, at the time, he wants to be on TV. And so he moves that trial. Gil Garcetti moves that trial from West L.A. court to downtown L.A. Right. And he cut his own throat by doing it because at that point, there were enough African Americans in Los Angeles that were pissed off about this trial where Rodney King was, basically, they said, well, those guys aren't guilty. Mm -hmm. And so they basically went and said, well, if those guys aren't guilty, I'm going to show you that O.J.'s not guilty. Well, it is. And and community-wise, it was that way. There was... There was, no, you know, yeah. giant sections of you know, Americans, Black Americans that were going, "Hey man, mm-hmm. this is called tit for tat, mm-hmm. okay?" Mm-hmm. And you can't blame them, okay? Mm-hmm. I, I'm not, I'm not blaming them at all. I, I can see it.
0: But see, now here's the interesting thing. So, so I'm, I'm with you on all that. I, if I had been in the jury room, I would have been maybe arguing for the same verdict, but for entirely different reasons. That's what would have made it very interesting. So, so like for example, when you bring up lettuce. Absolutely. You've you, you got me convinced at this point until I call Phil Van Aver to the stand. And I say, okay, walk me through how the sample was taken. You took the sample from O.J. at police headquarters. Change yes, of custody. Let's we talk did, about right? This. Okay, then you, I assume you took it up and locked it into evidence. No, I put it in my pocket and I went and walked it around the crime scene. Now, I'm not saying that I think, and I actually had this, I, I because I had done the interviews with O.J. when the whole thing happened with uh Powell Station and all that, I did uh, television, and I had this debate with uh, with uh, uh, Tom Lang, actually, the other detective, yeah. uh, and I said this very thing to him. I said, here's the problem. Do So So now we're looking at what evidence. Do I think that Phil Van Adder had a hatched a plot and went <laughs> to the crime scene and took the vial out and sprinkled what? No, actually I don't. Here's the problem though. If my direction from the judge is beyond a reasonable doubt, you handcuffed me, Phil Van Adder, when you did that because you walked the blood around the crime scene. So, as I look at that objectively, I'm going to go, okay, I'm going to have to put that evidence That's uh, Did Goldman's blood getting in house? Okay. Now, let's talk about that. Please. I, okay. I, I all really right. Really want so, to now go. we're talking about carpet samples in the Bronco. Remember that? We're talking about the socks all and all the rest of that kind of, of the the stuff. Bronco. Right. Okay. How was the blood evidence <clears> logged in the lab? Or it was protocol followed. Here, here's your problem. You want to believe
2: that police officers, who are the worst in the world, because see, police officers actually roll on each other more than any yeah. group of people I've ever seen. It's really? bear. Oh, it's ridiculous. Because a lot of them are those. I I have to tell the truth. I have to I have to be upstanding. I have to make sure that I'm saying exactly. Right yeah. You can have doctors. And this doctor knows that that doctor, he sucks. Mm. That doctor doesn't say a word about it. This guy's doing half job surgery. He doesn't say a word about it. Lawyers don't talk, talk about this lawyer's. He's, he's shady. Don't don't use him. No, they never say anything. Police officers roll on each other over the most minor things. So what you're expecting? There's an old there's an old saying you know the Hell's Angels used to say that it was you know three people can tell the truth when two of them are dead. Right. To keep a
1: secret when two of
2: them are dead. Well, it's no different. You are now saying that not only are the police officers conspiring to put this American who's really well liked up to this point of his life yeah. by everyone, black, white, everybody, they're conspiring to illegally put this guy away. Not only are they conspiring, now the 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 crime lab guys who are, have nothing to do with police okay as far as they're not police yeah, officers they're so. technicians these are technicians that have gone to school they've gotten their degrees they are they're given, gotten a job you know with the city of Los Angeles and now they're going and doing this job basically all they do is pick up samples and test samples and write reports right and they're going to put their their lives on the line and they're going to lose
0: their jobs and they're going to go to jail to try to conspire to, we want to get OJ. Well, no. no. See, okay. I don't no actually, but I, I don't think there's a conspiracy. What I'm saying there is has to be a conspiracy. Well, no, no wait. What, what what I'm I'm it's t- sloppy police work,
1: right? <coughs> <way, coughs> so certain mistakes are made that open up reasonable doubt. The fact that you know, I hear what you're saying. You're not saying it was,
0: yeah. Because the, not the as burden of Yeah, I don't actually have to get to conspiracy. Seriously. What I have to do is add so a reasonable you know, doubt. And let me, yeah, I do. At and the let
2: time me. that they did that, that was normal procedure for everyone. Now, because of that trial, the steps that some of these people are having to do, these crime labs and all these technicians, it's crazy. You're, they look like they're in biohazard suits now and everything. Why? Yeah.
1: Cross-contamination.
2: Oh,
0: you can't have cross That's all based upon O.J. Simpson. That was the first one. Right. And But but I think that's good. In that sense, I think it's good, and here's why. Because I think it makes me wonder how many other cases may have been affected by people who didn't have the money to hire the dream team or oh, heard true. some of those things. Now, what I'm saying is in terms of lab technicians, they, they weren't following the protocol because they had unauthorized people traipsing through there. And let's be honest, probably because it, the O.J. Simpson case was going on. He probably had some looky-loos and things well, like when, that. When right?
2: you're the technician and you have this guy traipsing through, mm-hmm. you don't even know who he is. Yeah. What are you going to do? Well, I don't Nothing prob- because you don't even know why he's there. And it's like, well, I'm doing my job.
0: Okay. But what I'm saying is if protocol's being followed, I do know who that is. I mean, wrote if, a if we, as far as how many people are at that crime scene. There's a lot. Yes.
2: A lot more than you think. You think you're going to know them? No, not going the know you, I'm talking you're about the guy the They're not going to know you. I'm talking about the guy in the lab. Though. Still, guys at the labs know each other, but yeah. they don't know the officers and they don't know the detectives and they don't know the, right. all these top level freaking people
0: that are sitting in Parker Center coming through this. No. They don't know each other. Here's the problem though. If that's the case, and I'm, I'm, I'm giving you that that's the case. We're at the we're down at the lab. We're creating our own problem, though, because if we've got that kind of culture going on, the reason that it, well, it hasn't been a pointed out before there, so is because somebody policy. didn't come in with a million dollar and, and team this to is point exactly, it out. Right? You're absolutely right. You're looking
2: at things had to change because they looked they got slapped in the face. Yes, by lawyers that went and said, "Well, hey, is there the pot? Look, at, I'm not saying it happened. But I'm saying there's a possibility. Uh, yeah. And with that possibility, I'm saying. You guys screwed up. Okay. Well, there's a possibility of a lot of things. You know, there's a possibility Frank can step into the Bellator cage, and when he does, Fedor is stepping across from him, and all of a sudden, this light falls on him.
0: Greatest ratings ever. Possibility. Highest ratings ever. Now, is it going to
2: happen? No, it's not going to happen. But you can't say that there's not possibilities. Everyone learned a lot from that. Mm-hmm. The real problem is you had two people that were brutally—I mean, brutally. I was—I was brought the photo of that crime scene, because the, at the time, I was like the, the, the martial arts guy they would come to and say, hey, mm-hmm. what kind of knife would it take to yeah. do, to
1: do yeah. this,
2: okay, and I can tell you certain things about it, there are certain things that you don't forget, okay, and there's a lot of things on LAPD I will never forget, one of them is looking at those photos and seeing how far, you know, he, well, he def- inflicted the wounds on her. I mean, cut her throat that only the spine stopped it, right, uh, only hurt the vertebrae, and he actually cut into she had a she had a wound going from her ear down and across to her collarbone. I remember that they it sounded like they were like her nicks back.
0: on on a bone and stuff.
2: Oh, I he cut into the, the bone. Yeah. You know, Rob Goldman is laying there. They they asked me, uh, you know, what is this in his eye? And it, it was, you know, when people die, they don't die in their eyes closed. They die in their you know you see it more in movies now. Mm-hmm. Eyes are open. Same as you know, you get choked out. Your eyes yeah. stay open. The brain just shuts off. The brain shuts off. And O.J. at the time has got a guy staring at him, and he takes the knife and he pokes it into the eye. Like, why is he still? You know, is he alive? Mm-hmm. And so he's got all these little poke marks in his eye. Oh
1: shit! I wouldn't have thought. Oh yeah.
2: Wow. And so you you I'm, I'm looking at him, and it's, it's a tragic scene. Yeah. Why did it happen? I have my theories on, you know, what occurred, and I have my theories on O.J. And it, I could be wrong, mm-hmm. but O.J. played football for a very long time. Okay, you got to figure he played 13 years in the NFL he played 4 years in, you know, of college ball, 2 years of junior college and 2 years at USC, he played high school. That's a lot of impacts. Mm-hmm. We have this thing that people are talking about all the time now, you know, chronic traumatic encephalopathy, CTE is something that the NFL is trying to run from right. because it has all of these people and they just did the, you know, they actually just did the the one study and out of 111, you know, brains studied of ex-NFL players, 110 of them have CTE. So what does CTE do? Well, it changes you as a human being. It changes your ability to control your anger. It changes a lot of things. Do you think O.J. Simpson might have CTE? Sure. He got out of prison here from what you're talking about. Yeah. And he was back in the palms and now blowing up at a bartender. Why? He can't He can't help it. It yeah. is, He's got a brain injury. Mm-hmm. And that brain injury was back in 1994. He had it then. Mm-hmm. And when things didn't go right for him that day, his girlfriend broke up with him and he goes to his daughter's recital and then his he is absolutely shunned by the Brown family and going out to dinner with them and stuff, and he's hurt. And then he goes to her house and he sees someone at her house. You know, it doesn't matter that Ron Goldman was just what he was, was there glasses. For. He's just
1: returning glasses. I think he was I don't think they were dating. I think he just was no. talking about being a nice guy. No, a nice guy I'm doing this. Exactly. Exactly.
0: Right. Well, in this he blows it he blows apart, and this is what happens. And you know, I here's the thing. I don't. I don't feel good about my position. <laughs> I'm just okay. saying. No, no. I'm just saying. I mean, that you told it, me I, before. You
1: you think that basically it was a guilty man that looked innocent.
0: Yeah, I mean, the, the, there's, the there's doubt. It's it's right. I mean, it's it's kind of like uh, some of these mistakes are going away. It's I, my deceased friend Ralphie May put it this way one time. He said it's like some of this was like. It, framing a guilty man like some of these were outs that were provided and again It took millions of dollars to, to suss them out what I'm saying and The other thing that makes me mad about it, Frank here's complain about this all the time I can't get picked for a jury. I get called for jury. I've been called for jury duty <laughs> six times They won't have me. It makes yeah. me mad and you ought to see what they take Most people instead. run from it. Yeah, you ought to see what they take instead, but but I looked at this and I thought okay because I'm, I'm having the debate within myself as I'm watching all this. I'm going, wait, well, you know, this, this, this evidence is overwhelming. This was before the verdict was read. And I'm totally with you that when I saw the verdict, it's not that there were 12 people thinking like I was thinking. I mean, there was a whole uh, retribution reason for this. But as I was watching it play out and I just started breaking it down, and every time there would be a major twist, I would go, oh, my gosh. They disqualified this whole chunk, but that's okay because they still got this. And then something would come along over the, here. The one thing that has not has
2: really come out. They had so much evidence that they did not even put in there mm-hmm. that was slam dunk, but they didn't want to have. Well, this one has a little bit of a backstory. The the, the lady that actually sees OJ speeding away and, and right, almost right. runs into her. Right. She sold her story to the National Enquirer. Yeah. So we don't want that coming out, so we're we're just going to take him push herself aside. There was a ton of stuff. Mm-hmm. Look, when you look at it, there was a lot of things learned from what it does show is, unfortunately, like you're saying, this is mm-hmm. what I get out of it, if you don't have money, you can't get a defense team like OJ did. Mm-hmm. And there's a possibility, you know, with you know certain circumstances that I do think there's people that are innocent of crimes that get convicted of crimes. Yeah, for okay? sure. that's, that's, unfortunately, you know, that's tragic, but there's no system out there that I've ever seen that is actually better than what ours is. Yeah. Even though I agree, I know there's people that I believe would be innocent that are found guilty. And that's horrible. I mean, it's you, you look mm-hmm. at it and now with DNA, at least a lot of those are coming out and they're, and they're showing that- We, we just have know,
3: to keep perfecting
0: our system. Yeah, exactly, no, I mean, how much time have they been, uh, they've been put away? I'm with you you be it's, go, it's what does that work? It's the best the system. system. We just need to keep trying to make it
1: better. Oh, oh yeah, there's that yeah. one though, the one that always gives me kind of like the chills. It was in Arizona. They this husband they they got him for burning his house, arson, right. killed his three children. He got they, the death penalty, got put away. So he went to jail. His wife divorced him after seeing the trial. He gets put, you know, to sleep. You know, uh, like six years later, they came out with they realized he was innocent.
0: Yeah, can't but undo that. Can't undo it. Yeah. Undo well, it and and that's the, the like you said is the DNA advances are so important to that. Now when I mentioned the interviews with O.J. Now, again, I was I was no fan. I mean, I knew who this person was, but more than anything, I had just always wanted to have a shot at interviewing him. And and not that I thought I was going to get some tearful confession or anything like that, but you <laughs> know, over the years, happen. no, but over the years, you know, you think of a million questions you would ask somebody. And I'd interviewed Johnny Cochrane a number of years before that and he was, you know, he answered all my questions as well. So, the way this O.J. interview came about. There were two separate occasions, like I said, over the that year before he he went to jail. And the first one happened pretty randomly. I knew I'm from That's Dallas. I knew what place he was going to, to be. And uh, normally I don't. I'd set up interviews much more properly than that. But I knew where he was going to be. And and maybe you can attest to this having the uh, the interfacing with him. But I'd always heard that oh this guy can turn on the charm, right? Yeah. So. I knew where he was going to be. It was a restaurant. I knew the people who worked at the restaurant. And I knew, I thought in my mind going in, you know, he's getting hit up for interviews. I'm sure. I'll bet I've got 20 seconds to close the deal on getting this interview. So when I entered, I just introduced myself, and my plan was I was going to say I've had Johnny Cochran on my show. He had a, a positive experience with that. I'd like a chance to talk to you. He totally disarmed all that because the person that was introducing us said, you know, this is Richard Hunter. He sticks out his hand. He goes. Richard, are you is your father Bill Hunter? Because I have a good friend named Bill. Like, well, no, that's not my father. Hunter's not that uncommon of a name, but it was immediately like you know. I mean, I totally saw what people saw in that, and I said, well, you know, I'd I'd like to interview you, but you know, I don't want any conditions on the interview. I've got you know, I think hard hitting questions to ask you. No problem. Let's do it now. Let's go up to the studio right now. Come on. So we end up, it's like the middle, the late at night. We end up in the studio, you know, we're talking, all this kind of stuff. This is what Frank's talking about. I hit him with this hypothetical, all right? And I said, one of these days I just have to go through hard drives to pull the uh, audio. we we'll actually play it. it our, yeah, we'll play cool. all this, for, this our, really cool for our listeners. But the hypothetical I asked him was this I said, all right, okay. Um, now, at this point, he'd been out of prison for a number of years. Powell Station had not happened yet, so okay. he's pretty much a free man. So I said, let me give you a hypothetical. I said, I think it had been 13 years at that point since the, the murders. And I said, so you're telling me you didn't do these murders, which means that for 13 years, you have uh, you woke up every day and people have looked at you all day long thinking you committed a crime you didn't commit, right? That's That's crazy to think about it if that's true. So I said, all right, here's the hypothetical. I said, I can make all of that go away. Tomorrow, you're going to wake up. The entire world is going to look at you differently, okay? But here's the trade-off. Somewhere right now, there's a guy who has no money for a legal offense, and he's innocent, and he's accused of a double murder. He's going to go to prison for the rest of his life or face the death penalty, and he's he's innocent. But I can change everything for you. Right, you will be perceived as as completely exonerated. Would you sacrifice him? Now, in my mind, I thought he's going to give me the politically correct answer, which is I would never want anybody to go through what I went through. I'll bear the burden. You know, I bared it for thirteen years. I'll continue to bear, to bear the part, burden. I'll continue to bear it. I'll do it, right, without hesitation. He looks at me and he says, "You know, it would be terrible if that happened to that young man, but I've got to tell you, I did not commit these murders. I've carried this around for thirteen years." And for the sake of me and my children and my family, I've got to clear my name. And I looked at him and I thought to myself, that is either the answer of a truly innocent man or a psychopath. And we're right back to where we started. (laughs) Right? I mean, it's like, you know, but I can certainly see. And had I seen the civil trial, because in a civil trial, you only have to be 51% certain. But that's just such a lack of empathy for another human being.
1: You know, you know what I mean? Like, for somebody to sit there and go, okay, I'd rather you right. go to prison. Yeah. And just so that I can be known as innocent, even though mm-hmm. I am, yeah. I'm innocent. You can sit there. I mean, I would think, like you said, like, if you I knew, know I'm fucking if innocent. You
2: knew you were innocent. Yeah. It doesn't matter what anyone else Exactly.
1: Yeah. And yeah.
2: even if you are, it's like, fuck,
1: like, you're out. You're not in jail. Yeah. So just because you're, you're for your reputation. You'll send an uh, innocent man to go to prison. Yep. Holy shit! What kind of monster are you? I, no, I'm
0: I'm with you. And what I was going to say too was with the with the civil trial, if if because that one wasn't televised, but on that one because you only have to be fifty one percent sure of guilt, I might have been able to get there. You know, depending on what was presented. Plus, he had to testify, and we didn't get to see that. So it's it's. A, I just I I've I've always liked this, and the only people that I've ever found that agree with my position on this are attorneys. I've had attorneys tell me, yeah, that would be by definition reasonable doubt. He said the problem is people on juries don't think this way. They either go, Okay, no, I got I in my gut I know what happened, or they do what you were talking about, which is I'm still mad about Rodney King. Guess what? He's innocent as well. And that explains my frustration about not being able to get on. <laughs> one time, John, I came. This is how close I came one time. This is the closest I ever came. I this pissed me off. I, got, I made it to the second day. The second you, day? Yeah, you've had to go to a lot of these kinds of I have, of things, I have right? testified way too many times sure. in the, the second day. I made it to the, the the second round. The Elite Eight or whatever, right? No, actually, they it was the final 24. So I had a 50-50 shot at getting in. And it was, a, it was like a child molestation trial. So That's a bunch horrible. of, it was horrible. A bunch of people had already felt like they couldn't do it, you know, so they were excused Yeah, because they started showing pictures of that. She all that, it. right, right. I'm going to knock them out, them out. But I'm like, I'm going to do my civic duty, you know, and I feel like I'm going to get picked on this one. So they get to the vordire dire part, which is, you know, where for kind of no reason they can just, they get a certain number of strikes, right? We're going to we'll kick him off, we'll kick him off. So the, um, the, the uh, prosecutor says to the remaining 24, of which I'm one, he says, let me ask a question just a show of hands. If a, a eight-year-old doesn't specifically say no to sexual intercourse, could they be a, in any way to blame? And one guy raises his hand. So the prosecutor says, okay, we're going to strike him. And then he looks at me and says, we're going to strike him, too. I, I, I didn't have my hand up. And I had to ride the elevator down in the courthouse with that That's guy. That's <laughs> my Can
1: you believe it? I was, oh. I still ask you this. So that guy, he raised his hand saying, I would actually stop him for saying Hey buddy, did you not understand the fucking oh, question? Exactly. Hey, hold on, you didn't hear it properly, right? You're saying that an eight year old doesn't have to say no or like You got that backwards, <laughs> right? Yeah, it's it just
0: confused <laughs> you. It made me so mad. And I asked the attorney later, I said, Why did they not pick me? And he said, Well, he goes, Okay, tell me I can tell you why. Okay, yeah yeah. It was Yeah, It's your
2: luck. Look at okay, that if you want to talk about profiling, right? yes. You hear all the stuff about profiling, attorneys profile more than anybody mm-hmm. because they're profiling off of image it, it, right. it can absolutely be wrong but they're going to get what is a perception of you based upon your haircut right what is the what is the haircut to? what they're saying is you in a prosecutor's mind or someone that's going to be hard to get to look, look at, at establishment exactly mm-hmm. and government mm-hmm. police officer that i mean you're going to kind of be against that right at the very beginning so you you're just trouble for me. Mm-hmm. Okay, you're not going to listen to the facts the way they are. Just based upon he is profiling the sure. way you're looking, your haircut. Uh, you're a musician, you're a rocker. Mm-hmm. You're going to be that guy that's going to be not yeah. helpful to me. They're going to get rid of you. Now the, the defense attorney, trust me, he's wanting you. So, but so you got half of them wanting you. And then half of them are not. And as soon as they they get that idea that,
0: oh, this is going to be someone's trouble. They're not, they're not well, trouble. what they told me was, they told me what you said. But then there was another side to it, too. Because he said, what were you doing? And I said, well, I'm taking notes. Oh, no, no, no. He goes, wait a second. He goes, he goes you're paying attention? Yeah. He goes, you're looking like you're interested? He goes, no, no, they don't want that. Because they want somebody who's malleable, they, you know, whichever way the wind blows, you're going to be able to change their opinion and that sort of thing. Yeah, so They want to influence. Look, at their job is to influence. That's what they do. Right. If there was one thing that
2: I really loved about testifying is all attorneys think police officers are idiots. So I, I liked getting in positions where I could make them. Oh,
0: yeah. they'd yeah. ask a question, and I could I could come up with a smart awesome. answer. All right. So, well, back to MMA because you know when I when I first heard about you getting this uh, color job with Bellator, which by the way starts this Friday, January twentieth, will be the fight card, and Thank Frank and I much. are going to be there. Yeah, we're it's a family affair. We're going. Uh, uh, we're, our buddy Chael is uh is fighting, and You'll he be was there. just on last week. Yeah, he'll <laughs> be it's, there. he should so be awesome. there. We also Yeah. But you know, when I first heard about you doing this, apart from what we already talked about, which is all the expertise and everything. You also have great personality for this. So, I mean, you're you're an engaging guy. You know, is that something that you had? Because you were just talking about like testifying with. Did you were you kind of always aware that you know I'm pretty good at conversation? No, you know what I I can tell you. It's funny because you know I talk about it with
2: my wife and stuff. You know, what what were you like in high school? I was quiet. So was I. You know, and I realized when I got past being a freshman, it's like you know what I need to start talking. I need to Mm -hmm. and. I can tell you it's like, you know, I, I talk to people all the time and I said, man, you know, if, if I could go back to being 25, you know, would I do it? If I had to have the brain that I had when I was 25, no, I wouldn't. I would, I would not want to change it because you've learned so much yeah. and that's part of your personality. You know, I, and as, at 25, you know, as a police officer, I would go around and, you know, say, you know, hi to people, but I was pretty selective in who I would, you know, say it because, you know, you'd have to be, you know, really give me the smile if you had a, uh, a stern look, I just kind of give you that stare back, mm-hmm. and it's kind of like that alpha male type thing that we all do. And as
1: you know, well, get... if you're a bigger guy and you're quiet, yeah, that, I, that happened to me first part of my career. I had a lot of people thought I was an asshole, yeah, but, and just because I didn't talk a lot, yeah. And then, you know, after being with Jennifer for so long, coming out of my shell, mm-hmm. I dude, I'll talk your ear off once we get to know each other. If I don't know you, why would we? But then, I'm like, oh, okay, well, that I can see now how that looks weird to people. So now I talk more and say, Oh, you're a nice guy. It's like, Yeah, well, I was a nice guy before, but
0: you know. Sure. If I'm quiet, you think I'm an asshole. That's it. it. There's a lot of people who think, I wish I'd go back to thinking he's an asshole. This guy won't shut up (laughs) now. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Well, it's, you know, it's a a skill, I think, a conversational skill that you never know how these things manifest itself. Because what I would imagine is, and tell me if I'm wrong, even back to the law enforcement days, is you know you were probably were were you a pretty good mediator you know like in sort of the uh, diffusing tense situations when you encountered them
2: yeah you know I, I, I was I was
0: always good at, at talking
2: people into doing what I had a system that I used and mm-hmm. at the time it it worked well for me I, and my big thing was you give everybody respect yeah if you're gonna stop someone talk to someone whether it's you're just stopping them on the street or you're got a call and you know, you got to deal with them man give everybody the respect they deserve. And I would, you know, if I was going to ask you, if I stopped you and say, Sir, could you do me a favor and please come over here and talk to me? Mm-hmm. You know, That's exactly how I would have said it. And if you now, the, the, the difference is when you look at me and you go, Why? Mm-hmm. Because I'm asking you to come over here now.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, because I asked you, now I'm going to tell you, mm-hmm.
3: and then I'm going to make you.
2: Mm-hmm. Okay, because there's reasons why I am stopping you. You may not know them, mm-hmm. okay, or you do know them and you're trying to negate that and try to figure a way out of this situation I'm Mm -hmm. going to get away. And I understand what I need to do to keep myself safe in it. A lot of times police officers do, you know, the one thing i learned from policing and what police officers do, you'll do things mechanically a certain way. When I say mechanics, there's mechanics to everything. There's mechanics to fighting. There's mechanics to being a referee. There's Mm -hmm. mechanics to being a police officer. And you do something time and time and time again because it helps keep you safe and what people say, mm-hmm. and it's the one thing that I learned is you know I was as nice as I
0: could be mm-hmm. until you showed me you didn't you didn't respect me back. Yeah, yeah, no, that and, makes sense. And so, that was just, and, know, and I usually if I ever right, and if, if I ever encountered that with with police, because the thing is, I always knew that they were going to be disappointed. You know, like the but, and that's you know exactly what you're saying. Yeah.
2: That's the thing that I look at. You know, people, you get all these people that start they're. They want to be confrontational when they really mm-hmm. they haven't done anything, mm-hmm. and you're right, you haven't done anything. So why are you creating something? Mm-hmm. You know that the officer is not going to be able to do anything with you. You know you haven't done anything wrong, mm-hmm. so you've got that in your back pocket. It's perfect. So right. be nice, and then you go in the end, and say, hey man, you
1: know,
0: is there a reason
2: why you stopped me just now? That mm-hmm. This whole thing mm-hmm. you can always do that, but don't start it off. with, Why are you stopping me? Right. Because you're just creating that situation. Now the officer is going to look to. Try to put you yeah in
0: that position where they can ride particular take you away. In the in the situations, if I ever encountered a police officer who you know I could tell was was you know not wanting to be respectful like that, I would just get I would I would get I'd do the passive aggressive thing. So it would be like like you said, I knew there's nothing to hide. But what I would start doing is more going through all the questions about you know do you have any drugs on you? Of course, I've never done a drug in my life. You know, alcohol? I've never uh, drank alcohol in my life. I would start going into the backstory of that. You know, growing up, I just saw that there was a lot of alcoholism in my family. I made a point of one, two. I wanted him to want to get out of there. Like I was <laughs> going to draw out that conversation, and maybe in the end. But that's good. Get him thinking about how much he's drinking. Are you drinking more than four times a week? Absolutely. You know, This is something you might need to look <laughs> at. I told you my
1: one time I dealt with an asshole officer. Because mm. I mean, look, I'm the most polite guy in the world. Every time I get pulled over, I, I've never done that. You know who I am. Never. It's never happened in my life. It never will really happen. One time I'm with the wife here, and we take a left-hand turn, and my wife's a little bit on the spicy side, right? And, and I do. The light turned red, and I went through it, you know what I mean? Like, as I'm going through it, the officer pulls me over. The guy gets out. He has, like, a 12-inch neck and like a 16-inch waist. So, oh, that's a good one. I know where this is going, right? So I had my hands on the steering wheel. The guy goes, like, you know, hey, the fuck were you thinking? I'm like, what? You know what I mean? Like, like, uh, yeah, like I, I'm kind of like baffled by the, like wait a minute, that's not how this is supposed to work. I say officer, I have no weapons in the car, or yeah. where, where it is. And you say, do you realize what you did? And I go, yes, I, I, I ran the red light, and you write me a ticket. You know, you ask for my ID, registration. Like, there's no reprimanding of this situation. But so I'm just sitting there, like, oh fuck, you're a dick. You're looking at me right now, and I'm the guy in high school that probably threw you in the fucking toilet, and this is your opportunity to get even. So I just, I'm like. Yes, officers. No officer. You know, just being as plastic as you can be. And he's kind of a dick to the point to where Jennifer finally like, leans over and is like, do you not know who the fuck this is? You know, I'm like, oh, God. I'm <laughs> <laughs> so now like, I just grab the steering and like, oh, shit, that's bad. And then he goes, no, who are you? I'm like, so he walks back with my license registration. I look over at the wife. And I'm like, "Look, if you say one word, <laughs> like this guy's a dick. Let's not instigate him." You know
0: what I, mean? <laughs> I asked Frank. Uh, 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 I don't remember what brought it up. I think we we're about to start the podcast one night. He had he. Somebody was returning a phone call, a call he'd made for some customer service thing or whatever he got on the phone. He goes, yeah, hey, it's, uh, it's Frank Mirror, I need you to look up my account or whatever. And it just, the light bulb went off in my head, and I asked Frank to said, after he got off the phone, I said, all right, Frank, how much would it take? Again, if I just happen to have some discretionary income in my pocket, how much for a period of one year, okay, every time you answer the <laughs> phone like that, you have to say, uh, yeah, hey, it's Frank Merritt, two-time USC heavyweight champion. <laughs> you have to introduce yourself. Uh, have uh, enough money. Well, no, I think <laughs> once I offered to pay uh, all three of his kids private school tuition, yeah. he goes, fuck, my wife would make me do it. <laughs> <laughs> that would be the best year ever. Just the phone would ring, and I'd just start rubbing my, oh, this that is going to be great. every yeah. time. <laughs> All right, so let's, uh, I guess, uh, touch real quickly just on a couple of uh, uh, news things here. I I wanted to uh, ask you guys your thoughts about, uh, you know, there is talk now of stripping Conor McGregor of the lightweight title. Dana is talking about the fact that he, uh, Conor has said he may not fight again until September. Uh, Dana is uh, trying to make Khabib Nurmagomedov and Tony Ferguson, and he says if, uh, Conor's not going to defend the title until September. Then they'll strip the title and make uh, Khabib and Tony for the actual title. Now, you know this plays into my speaking of conspiracy theories. I don't have a conspiracy theory about OJ, but I do have one about
1: Conor. Yours is good.
0: Which is, I think what Conor is trying to do is to avoid the champion's extension clause. So what I think he would prefer, because he's become bigger than the belts now... I think he actually wants to get rid of the title so that when his deal is up, he's the biggest uh, uh, star in sport, but he's not a champion tethered to a title. Uh, does this uh, advance my theory?
1: Absolutely. I think mean, that's exactly what he's doing. I mean,
0: you like that, John? Oh, dude. Well, first off, Connor
2: has
1: a lawyer named Mike Murch. Used to work. Is Mike's his lawyer. Oh yeah. I didn't know that. Oh, hello. Shit. So. I like Mike too. Well, oh, cool Mike's guy. a good guy, you know. And uh, I don't think he likes the OC. Thing.
2: I don't think he likes <laughs> him now. He used to work for him. <laughs> he got fired. He—he's uh, the one that actually got Connor his boxing license here in Nevada. Set that all up, and look at—he knows the contracts very well. Yeah, he does. And so I don't think you're too far off. I think that you know they're going to end up stripping Connor. Connor mm-hmm. Connor has never—he's won the championships. He's never defended. The only right. one you can kind of say defended when he was the interim champion of featherweight when he beat Chad Mendez, then he fought Jose Aldo. Right. And that's as close as you can say to defending, but he's never defended a title. Yeah. And I'm not sure that he's going to. I think people have talked to him and said, hey man, look at you can make you know, he keeps on making all these these remarks that he wants a piece. I want yeah, ownership. Right. You know, and look at he's got enough power because he's got power. Yeah. He has influence. He has people watching him. He can. He he absolutely is that needle mover. I mean, he spins the needle. Mm-hmm. And you've got to look at what he can do on his own. He can create that fight where now he's making, again, Floyd Mayweather type money when he made in that boxing in an MMA match because it's not all going to a promoter. And no, for, the, for the, I'm not saying you're far off. Yeah,
0: for those who don't know, Frank, you could explain the champions clause. You've been beholden to that. Yeah, I mean, basically, if you have,
1: say, have a four fight deal, and six fight deal, whatever the deal is, you have with the UFC, they learned their lesson with Josh Barnett. That basically, if you're the champion, and your contract starts to come to an end, uh, and you have one fight left, they usually renegotiate with everybody. They renegotiate. But if you were to sit there and no, I'm not going to renegotiate, I'm going to go fight another time, and you win, and now you're the champ and you have no more contract, uh, they have it to where now it automatically extends because they got stuck in a situation with Barnett, who fought Randy Couture, but he was at the end of his contract. I guess they thought Barnett would lose. Barnett wins, and now he's a free agent with the heavyweight championship. The only thing that saved their ass on that point was that Josh Barnett tested something for Winstrel. Mm-hmm. Had that not happened and they got the belt back, they had had a kid that was basically like, better fucking open up the checkbook it's about to get heavy mm-hmm. and so um or it's going to get lighter for them yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> and so that's what happens so with Connor he, whatever contract he has every time he wins a fight as long as he's the champ that contract extended mm-hmm. so they get to have it until he loses the belt and then he can fight his last fight on the contract
0: yeah uh one other quick one uh of course we uh you know what since our last episode Frank cuz we were previewing the UFC St. Louis card We went ahead and broke down the uh, Uriah Hall, Vitor, Belfort uh, matchup.
1: You know the other smart thing about that? Because then other people can sit there and go, well, fight to the end of your, you know, just sit out. Or call injury. See, now he could sit out right now and say, Mm -hmm. I'm available to fight. You guys don't have me a fight and it doesn't extend the contract, right? Mm -hmm. Well, you know, what do you have going? (laughs) You know? But if Connor goes, Oh, I, I blew out my back, I can't fight. Well, automatic extension of your contract till you're healthy.
0: Yeah, right. It's it's <coughs> in perpetuity, yeah, right? Yeah, knows. yeah. They got yep. that base covered too. So in our uh, no, in our UFC St. Louis preview, Frank, since we taped it and we were breaking down Uriah Hall and uh, Vitor Belfort, Hall uh, was not able to weigh in. Now he actually uh, passed out on the way to the scales. Uh, Dana was critical of him, said that you know he's not taking it seriously, the weight cut, and he's not taking his training, etc. Uh, he was out of the fight. Now, Vitor Belfort was offered a couple of last minute opponents. He passed on him because he wants another fight with Michael Bisping. It looks like that could happen, but uh, Belfort also wants to get paid for the Uriah Hall fight. He feels like he should be uh, paid for that because he was ready to make weight Thing did Vitor Belfort do everything that was
2: asked of him to get to the point of that fight?
0: Uh, yes, yes he did, did yeah. weigh in.
2: Yes, he yeah. made weight, he got himself there, and then that fight was taken away. What the UFC is going to say is, We offered you another fight, and you didn't take it, mm-hmm. and that's why they're saying we don't want we're not going to pay you for that show money because we offered you another fight and you said no.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: I think it should be paid. I think that absolutely he showed up and everything what John's is already leading up to. And he signed to fight in Uriah Hall. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Uriah Hall wasn't there. Now that's not the UFC's fault either. Nope. But it's the price of doing business. Exactly you're a promoter; you make a lot of money. What you're doing? That's just you know right? you got to pay the show money. The difference
2: is when you're paying, you know,
1: you're paying Vitor
2: Belfort show money compared to paying Joe Blow show money. Mm-hmm. There's a big, yeah. And
1: there's a big difference. Two main event money. But I didn't think that was up for debate. Every time I've been before the Fertinas during the Fertita era. Mm-hmm. Excuse me. What did you say? The
2: Fertitas, who are
1: they? Yeah. It is owned by again. No, no, I'm saying this is but yeah. like, this is the no, difference. During between, the Fertitta era. Yeah. Fight. They people. would have paid him absolutely. Yeah, you are saying I remember I was in England when I did the yeah. fight. One of the fighters got the flu. He was in a fight anyways. Yeah. Uh, was it Gil uh, Martinez? Uh, mm-hmm. or Gil was uh, uh, uh,
0: not Melendez.
1: No, no, no. no. Um,
0: this is back further.
1: The guy Gil yeah.
2: I know what you're talking about. Yeah, I'm, I'm picturing him right now. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Anyway, just used to wear black and white shorts. <laughs> had the flu. I think he was fighting. That's everybody now. <laughs> Whoever <laughs> he was opponent, everybody. I just remember, yeah. I remember sitting there going, wow, that's pretty impressive. Yeah. He had like a 101 temperature, screw it, I'm going to fight anyways. The doctor's like, well, I can't stop you from fighting. Yeah. The fatigues are like, nah, you're done. You're not fighting. Paid him yeah. and paid his opponent their show money. You're going, yeah. okay, well, you know what? I'm not going to send you out there with the flu, man. I mean, hey, I appreciate mm-hmm. that you were willing to do it, but no.
0: No, John's got a good point because it's, you know, I, I have often thought that one of the most perplexing things for the, uh, the Endeavor, they call themselves Endeavor now, the, the uh, ownership group, their accountants must have been when they sat down to review the books before the purchase. And they looked at these salaries for Matt Hughes and Chuck Liddell and they were going, now when will they be fighting again? Yes. Wait, what, they haven't fought in four, five years? What do you mean they're not fighting? They do. Right. Why are we paying them? Right. They would not understand the value of, no, no, we're we're keeping them as lifetime company men. That's the price of it's making sure that they, yeah. Yeah. And that, that that, was you know, you so obviously if they're not going to comprehend from the Mrs. Mirror. Yeah, if they're not going to comprehend something like that, then they're definitely not gonna comprehend why would we pay somebody <laughs> if they didn't fight exactly. You know, the, yeah, yeah, but I
1: mean that's the thing that the, here, here's what here's what you really
2: gotta look like, at. Uh, when you again, this is what Frank is saying, you know, well and man, it's a different mentality of that ownership group. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I remember listening you know, listening to a thing of you coming out saying, Man, you know, I, I I asked him, you know, hey, I wanted them to talk to me about stuff because you had that whole thing with USADA. And no one was calling you back. Mm -hmm. And I was like, God damn, man, that's just crazy that you, a guy who has been part of that organization for that long, done as much as you have actually within that organization, you're a stable part of that, and no one's calling you back. Man, they just, these guys don't get it. If Lorenzo was there, he would have called you. I know he would have called you. And you look and you go, that's the difference of what's going on now, but what they're looking at as a company now, and this is not Dana, this is IMG, They're looking at now all these weight cuts. How much is all of this weight cutting costing us as a promotion, just as far as main event, co-main event, the fights we're losing, they have lost millions upon millions upon millions of dollars based upon bad weight cuts. So, what are you going to do about it? You are this company that if if you're going to sit there and say that you don't know that you have a problem, that can easily, here's your lawyer stuff coming mm-hmm, in. Mm-hmm. They're easily going to be proved, oh, you knew about it.
0: Right, in right. fact,
2: here's an incident, here's an incident, here's an incident. So, what are you doing to fix it? Because what they're trying to do is run from it. They have, right now, you have... You know, people that are in that organization, especially your matchmakers, are going, I don't even want to hear about weight cutting because I have enough problem putting my weight, my matches together with the weight they're supposed to be at. The real thing is this. Look, at unless it's a championship fight, what does it matter what someone's weighing? Okay? If they're a 145-pound fighter and they weigh in at 149 pounds and their opponent weighs in at 148 and a half, you have a competitive fight between two relatively even fighters that weigh the same amount. They don't weigh 145. So what? It doesn't matter. Your fight is gonna be there. It's a good fight. Put it on your fight. It doesn't matter if they're hitting that. The only time it's gonna matter when you hit that exact number is a championship nice. fight. Mm-hmm. Okay, title fight. That's your problem. But you can you can avoid a lot of this stuff that they're doing. And and the athletic commissions need to get their they need their act together because this is a problem. we had, how many how many ufc fighters do i have to start naming their names of have fallen out and almost died okay with kidney failure why why do we have mma boxing being just a small percentage of it but mma being this group of athletes if you look at the nfl you look at the nhl you look at major league baseball they all have all these nutritionists they have these chefs that are on staff they are cooking meals for their players, and hydrating for top performance. And what do we do with ours? We tell them, we want you to starve and dehydrate yourself so you can perform well.
0: Mm. It's
2: ridiculous. They know what's going on. It's got to change. The
1: mentality has got to change. Actually, it was brought up, last. I think last episode we talked about this. Um, Yeah, California's thinking about imposing a 10% rule. You have to be within 10% Well, They've already done it.
2: They've got what's called their
1: 10-point plan. Uh, I said it was stupid. I'm like, look, all you're going to have is guys cutting weight twice now. You know, guys cut weight to make a certain weight. Then the next day when they got to get on a scale again, they're going to cut weight that morning to make sure they're within the 10%. Or they're going rip- to
0: intentionally not fully rehydrate. They're going to so intentionally not yeah. fully rehydrate.
1: Yeah. So then I'm like, well, then the whole plan itself is stupid. You're going to get guys now that are going to be fighting dehydrated. Yeah. I don't get it. In high school, at the beginning of the wrestling season, we test kids yeah. What weight they're allowed to be at. So they get in there, they they do the hydration test, they test their body body fat. So you're told like, okay, you're allowed to fight at this weight. It doesn't matter if you show up, you know, if you do a hydration test, you're like, okay, you're a light heavyweight. You came in at 203. So you can fight in the 205 weight class. But they'll do that thing and find out, okay, you're the lightest you can humanly be is 210 before it's unhealthy. Well, guess what? You're gonna be a very small heavyweight. You're not they allowed to go to light heavyweight. It. Just say, hey, right off the bat, we're going to test you when you come into the organization. And that's, like, it's the easiest like, that thing. That is
2: gonna... part of that 10-point plan.
1: Well, they are going to well, do that.
2: That's, no. What, that part, that's here, smart. Here's what they're doing. That's why I can't figure out why that hadn't been done already. It's right, like guys Part out. Part of their whole thing is, look, at, we need to have guys, when they do their medicals, they're tested by a doctor, do, they do a hydration test, and the doctor says, this is the lowest you can be. Okay. Problem solved. What okay. else? Excuse Hold on. on. So now the doctor says this is the lowest you can be. So the lowest you can be is 157 pounds. That means you can't be a lightweight. No. Nope. You need to go up. Now that was part of the reason the ABC went and put in more weight classes because if you look at the what is the actual unified rules now, the weight classes that are allowed are 125, 35, 45, 55, 65. They kept. 170 in there because of the UFC because mm. they didn't want to take the title from Ty- Tyron and make him a 175. They have a 175. So in the middle of this you have five-pound gaps, which is ridiculous, but 75, 85, 95, 205, 235, and heavyweight. Anyway. They have a 235 weight class.
1: Oh yes, there is. Shut the fuck up. Okay.
2: Now this is there. And the reason they did it is because they want fighters to start getting closer to fighting. What is their natural weight? This whole thing that everyone's gotten into is I want to be the bigger, stronger guy. I'm telling you right now, if you ask me, John, you can fight this guy who's super fast or you can fight this guy who's super strong, I will fight the super strong guy every time. Mm -hmm. Speed kills, man. Speed kills, Mm -hmm. man. It is a problem. It absolutely becomes your nemesis when you can't get to somebody doing the things that you naturally have done and been successful for time and time again. And every time you make that step forward, and you, he's gone. Mm-hmm. And then he's clipping you back. You realize, the strong guy's not my problem. He can grab a hold of me because that strength starts to diminish over a little bit of time. Speed doesn't really diminish. And guys have gotten in their head, I want to be the bigger, stronger guy. It's not about being – I've talked to a lot of fighters. And, you know, there's guys that are out there, you know, you know, Jorge Masvidal moved
1: from 155 to 170. I had talked to him and said, man, why are you, why are you killing yourself? Robert Whitaker w- is the prime Bingo! Actor? The best Bingo! example. He lost there at 170. 170. Lost to uh, McDonald. Moves up to middleweight. Kills, kills he's it. He's a fucking middleweight champ because mm-hmm. he's fast. Mm-hmm. Even in the fight with, uh, with uh, Romero, they said, hey, what do you think is going to happen? I'm like, I think, and I said it before the fight, this is an awful fight for Romero because you have a guy who's going to be able to survive. Grapple and he's quick and he moves around. This isn't speed a speed kills, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and you look I at mean, a lot of size. Like, I mean, people now listening, go well, well middleweights, you just find heavyweights. I'm like, well, no, no, you don't want to yeah. be that much of a size right. disparity because yeah. then you're going to get grabbed and just crushed. But you're right, if you're within 20 pounds of each other, the faster guy has a huge advantage, man. Right? Uh, you know, and he feels you good. That's the thing exactly. I can tell you exactly. Feeling you know, good
2: matters for a lot. Like, man, when you walk in that cage and you feel like I have a gas tank and I feel good right now, you're in a you're a bad person to be in the cage with okay because you there's a lot of guys that are walking into that cage man look at they've been in the back they're not feeling good they feel they feel down it's like I need to get out you know get myself up in here and they can't because their body's just not responding based upon what they had done 24 hours ago yeah. I feel pretty
1: good about how this podcast went
3: yeah.
1: pretty good. Yeah, well, we'll go pretty good. Hopefully, uh, you know, we get
0: John to come on a lot more until he did starts you? his own again. <laughs> yeah. You're going to Would you consider a return engagement? Absolutely. All right, All right. this talking with you guys was fun. All right. Tell everybody how they can follow you on social media because I know I see you on Twitter and you answer questions back and forth. Yeah, yeah. You're really good at that. Oh, dude. Some of those questions are just horrible.
2: But uh, if you uh, want to follow me on Twitter, it's uh, Big John Let's. Well, Oh, it's John McCarthy. John McCarthy MMA. You do I I uh, it with the life. I think that's what? Right. I think it's <laughs> no, John McCarthy. It's John McCarthy, yeah. uh, John McCarthy MMA. And uh, on Instagram, I think it's big John McCarthy.
0: I don't know, what I'm terrible at Let's just yeah. put it this way. If you if you find an account and it's got fourteen followers, that's not him. Yeah. <laughs> Go with the one that's that's got, <laughs> got a number, large got number friend. of uh, yeah. followers. And uh, speaking of uh, of uh, uh, listeners and social media, give a shout out to uh, Devin and Christina that I saw over this week. I accomplished a weekend goal. Of being the only uh, myself s- and Jennifer were the only two people in attendance at Marilyn Manson on Saturday night and Rich Little last night. I, I surveyed <laughs> the, you know the Rich crowd.
1: Littles? Hell yes, dude, C-I-O. I'm old. <laughs> <The> Hollywood <laughs> he, Square tells that. Them yeah. uh, I am yeah. musically retarded. Rich Little.
2: Rich Little used to be on Johnny Carson yes. all the time. Man. He, he's oh. a he's a world famous impressionist. Did you know
1: Rich he did.
3: Is uh, the piano?
2: No. no he's oh, he's an impressionist.
0: He, yeah. he, he oh, does yeah. all the different voices and stuff like but, that. But he was huge, like, in the 70s on The Tonight oh, huge. Show. Oh, okay, And I, huge. I, I desperately so wanted to go So this a bad one this. that I
1: don't
0: know. No. no, no, it's before your time. But the the, funny thing, the nice thing about my, my girlfriend's name is also Jennifer. And the, the funny thing about having Jennifer, at least I'm always the second youngest person in the crowd. You know, because, I mean, we were breaking the curve by a lot last night. But Rich Little did. He must have done two dozen impersonations. And I counted them up after we got home. Two of those people are still alive. Two out of the twenty-four. Man. He, he opened his set with a Jack Benny impersonation. Yeah. I was like, "Boy, this is setting the tone for the night." But anyway, I saw. Our You're listener. asking who Jack Benny is? No clue. No, yeah.
2: oh, <laughs> dude, no clue. See that, dude? Yeah. Jack Benny had he was he was the Tonight Show before Johnny Carson mm-hmm. and everything. But Jack Benny was always thirty years his age, thirty-nine. He never got older than thirty-nine.
0: That's right. And he had uh, he had Rochester, who yeah. always had pies and other. See, John, you and I, yeah. we're, we're going to have a lot to talk. How old are you now? I'm uh, well. In actual years, I'm 47. Okay. But I'm ins- way older. Inside, I'm 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 old. Yeah, I'm an old. See, I in actual inside.
2: age, I'm 55. Inside, yeah. I'm about 87. See there, I totally relate <laughs>
0: to that. I'm broken. I, well, you know what? You're perfect for this podcast. Yeah. Absolutely, <laughs> Frank. Uh,
1: tell everybody how to follow us on social media. Uh, follow us on uh, Facebook and Instagram at Phone Booth Fighting. If you just want to follow us on Snapchat or Twitter, it's Phone Booth Fight.
0: All right, so this weekend, uh, we are road-tripping to uh, Bellator. Uh, that is going to be uh, uh, Saturday night with uh, uh, Chill Sonnen taking on Rampage Jackson. Of course, the main event for the Welterweight title, Douglas Lima, taking on Roy McDonald. You're going to hear Big John McCarthy making his color commentary debut along with uh, uh, Mike Goldberg. And you know what I thought we should do, Frank? Is uh, we should do a road trip podcast, maybe from the room or something like that. Yeah, yeah. because UFC is that same night, and I was thinking maybe we watch that on tape after we see Bellator live, maybe do a little fight companion episode or yeah, something. Like that. Good time. There you go, there you go, yeah. All right, well, yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll you we know go. where we'll be. I think we're we'll all staying in the same hotel, so uh, uh don't miss you that episode. <laughs> you want to tell everybody what you did? Yeah, <laughs> do you know our buddy Angelo? Striking bring coach of the it, stars. You Angela come over
1: really. Angelo is an awesome guy. He has a good heart,
0: but he's just he just
1: talks a lot sometimes. You know what I mean? So well, know, let's role play it.
0: You want to do it? Show John exactly what I, you did to so, me.
1: Oh, so so I I tell uh uh Richard knowing that Angelo is going. He's also my striking coach. So I kind of you know keep him would be a good idea to have him there. So I'm like, hey, uh, so uh, Rich, you know, you thinking about going to Bellator this weekend? Oh, yeah, no, Are I'm going. At the time no, time. Yeah, of course I'm going. Yeah, we could you know. go down. So, yeah. You know, you drive down, like, maybe get a room you, know? Yeah, we can do that. Sure, no problem. <laughs> so, do you mind if Angelo goes with you? <laughs> <laughs> he did
0: this bait <laughs> and switch where, yeah, he's just flying ahead. right in there, oh yeah. Man. oh, yeah. He's already got me committed, you know, I to know, but there's, here's the thing. Angelo is awesome. He's, he's No, a, he's a super he, yeah
1: warm guy. Like, you know, I can leave my house and he can be there with my kids and I'm completely content and happy. He's just, you know what I mean, like, Sometimes you know you know, like those quiet moments. Like we could sit there, you know. We, we travel a lot with the airport. There's times when we talk a ton. I'm yeah. talking to like, and there's times I'm just staring at the wall, just looking forward. Okay. You don't get those moments of answer.
0: I got. It. I got. It. You get a big personality. You don't
1: get those moments. Where you just get to be in your own head.
0: You know, and he's like, listening right now too, so uh, I'm making sure I'm on his good side. I got a four and a half hour car ride with. Him. <laughs> All right. Hey, John, seriously, thanks for coming on, man. Hey, it was thank a, you for a, me. a lot of fun. Let me tell you, that OJ segment was every bit as good as I thought it was going to be. I've been looking forward to that. I don't know when you did that podcast, nine months ago or something. Oh, I my God. That.
2: No, that was like a couple
0: years. Maybe it was. Okay, back that far. But yeah. as soon as I heard it, I was like, Note to self. If I ever uh, get John on our show, we got to have that conversation. All right. Uh, thanks to uh, everybody who's been a part of this one. Remember, com is uh, the website. And uh, we'll uh, see you right back here next time on Phone Booth Fighting. Thanks, guys.